Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon on uh, Friday, 92, 1992 is our uh, flashback Friday year. And if uh, you feel like it, you might as well just turn them clothes around like crisscross. We're at it backwards. Uh, that's what Nick is doing today, producer Nick. For those of you who uh, didn't hear our big announcement yesterday while we were out at J.T. Schmidt's in Tustin, uh, producer Oscar has moved on, he has decided. And after a series of complete screw-ups on his part yesterday, we decided to fire him. Uh, actually, he's just moving down the hallway. Uh, he's uh, now management and has to wear a sport coat to work every day, which is awkward because it's not really his style. But Nick is our new pro- new uh, producer, as we call it. So, Hi Nick, there. congratulations. Thank you very much. Very excited to be with you. Apologize for what it is that's about to happen to your yeah, life. I will do uh, my best to not mess up all the time. Well, we'll see what we can do today, right? Right? Yes. And yeah. since 1992 was your year of birth. Correct. This is uh, 1992 is our Flashback Friday year. Yeah. So, welcome aboard. Thank all right. You. A bunch that we're going to get to today. Next hour, we are going to check in with Chris Ann Carlo up in Montecito. The evacuations, uh, all of the evacuations in Santa Barbara have been lifted. The the storm rolled through, and thankfully, all of the uh, the hillsides held up in those burn areas. There was plenty of mud and everything that did come down uh, through the... Uh, through the course of the evening, but for the most part, it was contained within the creek beds the way it was supposed to be done, and uh, we didn't have to worry about evacuations. We'll talk a little bit about that with Chris next hour. I'll give you some more details about that in just a few minutes. Also, uh, the president is uh, right now at the funeral of the Reverend uh, Billy Graham in Charlotte, North Carolina, Uh, but not before, of course, taking to Twitter and blasting a few things. Number one, uh, explaining why it is he wants to see new tariffs on aluminum and steel imports into the country. We'll talk about that and the potential for a trade war. But also, he went after Alec Baldwin. Uh, there are plenty of things to do on a Friday. Going after Alec Baldwin apparently was one of his things to do on his checklist. So we'll talk about that and explain this. But we start it uh, at Central Michigan University. There is a, a very strange story about a shooting that took place there on campus but uh, and I, I I would argue with anyone who wants to say that this was a school shooting because it does not appear that students or staff or faculty or anybody like that was a target here because campus police have already said that two people who were not students were the ones who were shot and killed. Yes, it did apparently take place at a dorm on campus and that the suspect in this case may have been a student who's 19 years old, but that they say this started from a domestic situation. So uh, here's some of the uh, the officials from the school. We had the campus on lockdown. No students, faculty, or staff have been injured. And then with a police chief for Central Michigan University, go, what did I say? Oh, Chippewas, I think is their mascot. Two individuals have been fatally injured. And the, the incident took place in Campbell Hall, which is part of our Towers Complex. Now the, the person, person of, interest of interest that we are looking for actively at this point 
was a James Eric Davis. He's a black male, approximately 19 years of age. Now, the school posted an alert a few hours ago on their social media about shots being fired at Campbell Hall. I saw the uh, the tweet that came out from Central Michigan. It just basically said to stay away from Campbell Hall, wait for the all clear. Uh, an automated phone message also went from the school out to students, and it happened on uh, what with what is the last day of classes before their spring break next week. And a lot of parents who were trying to pick up their students to take them away uh, were told to stay off campus and go to local hotels where staff would assist them. Uh, they have released within just the last few minutes a picture of the uh, the 19-year-old person of interest, they're saying. They're not even describing him as the shooter necessarily, but the person of interest in all of this. And uh, we'll get that. You'll probably see it soon on social media. Uh, the The surrounding community Students and staff in that Mount Pleasant School District, which is right around Central Michigan University, have been told to uh, do sort of soft lockdowns to be sheltered in place just in case. And at this point, they don't know much about what's been going on. But again, the suspected shooter here was 19 years old. And the police have said the two people who were killed were not students or staff or faculty, but they were in the dorm. So it came to my mind immediately that if this was a domestic situation, they were not students, but they were in the dorm, that maybe this kid's family came to pick him up for spring break. And he greeted them with a gun for some reason. But they're saying, again, this 19-year-old is still loose. They consider him armed and dangerous. Whether or not it plays into it as well, the other news from Central Michigan University was that a couple of fraternities and a sorority were suspended yesterday. And again, I'm not saying that there is a connection. It's just weird that the only time we hear about CMU is when there's a couple of fraternities and then a shooting the next day. Sigma Lambda Gamma suspension uh, was sent to CMU February 7th. The sorority was suspended by its national organization under investigation for claims of hazing and, uh, they're saying that the other ones, the, the fraternities as well, they're going to have to reapply after alcohol abuse, misconduct, and hazing, which is, I, I thought we were beyond that in 2018, but I guess uh, if you were in a fraternity, you know that that's not necessarily ever out of the picture. And I wanted to follow up on this other story that I just saw. If you remember not too long ago, the, sh- the shooting, obviously, in uh, in Florida, in Parkland, Florida, was on February 14th. It was on Valentine's Day. Less than a week after that, there was what was described as a school shooting at a middle school in Ohio. And it was one person shot in a bathroom with a gun at this middle school. And the details of exactly what happened were unclear. We didn't know if it was... An accidental shooting. We didn't know if it was a targeted shooting. We didn't know if this was a suicide. How about this? 13-year-old boy. A 13-year-old boy who carried a rifle into school to commit a massive school shooting. Chickened out at the last minute. And committed suicide. Police have released a lot of the information about this kid. And they said that he idolized the Columbine shooters. And when he went to Jackson Memorial Middle School the day of February 20th, he was planning to shoot a bunch of other people. Investigators said they found an 
pinpoint plan of attack on his phone that revealed that he had been planning to murder his classmates and that what he was hoping would he would do is commit the largest mass killing bigger than anything this country's ever seen. Those were his words. He wrote on his phone, I will never be forgotten. I'll be a stain in American history and the Simons history. It's going to be so much fun, he said. They won't expect a thing. Now, not clear why he chickened out. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, we can be thankful that he chickened out. The school chief says, we seriously don't know what made him change his mind, but we thank God every day whatever changed his mind, changed his mind. He wrote in his uh, little manifesto on his phone, because that's, I guess, where all manifestos go these days, that he'd been planning to attack his school since the Florida high school shooting the Wednesday before. And at about uh, 7 in the morning on February 20th, Tuesday, this kid walked into the school well, walked onto the school bus with a noticeable limp. Authorities said that other people noticed this kid limping, and they realize now that the reason he was limping, he had a twenty-two rifle in his pant leg. He also had a backpack stuffed with 80 rounds of ammunition, an assortment of fireworks, batteries, and an aerosol can, which cops believed that he may have been planning to use as a bomb, although... People who looked at it said he didn't really have the necessary components to actually make a bomb. And then at about 7.45, about a half an hour after he gets on the bus, he shows up at the middle school, heads straight to the boys' restroom where there was another student inside. Not clear yet if he said anything to that boy, but a few minutes later, school surveillance footage shows him emerging from the bathroom with a rifle in his hands. Four students on that surveillance video were standing around the bathroom area, but nobody seemed to notice the fact that this kid is holding a twenty-two rifle. The boy who had been in the bathroom with this 13-year-old would-be shooter ran out of the bathroom, went to tell a teacher what he saw. Just a couple of minutes later, he goes back into the bathroom and ends up shooting himself. They did take him to the hospital. He he died the next day after having shot himself. But it was only after he died that they were able to find this memo on his phone. Again, this is a kid who in Ohio, less than a week after the shooting in Florida, said that he was going to go and attack his own classmates there at the junior high in Ohio. They said that he had uh, been thinking about shooting up his school for several months, but had been spurred to action by the shooting in Florida. He wrote February 17th, which would have been just a few days after the shooting in Florida. I'll look in those scared little britches eyes before I kill them and then wrote it's going to be so much fun. He hoped to inspire other kids to kill their classmates after he wrote that he was inspired by the Columbine shooting. And he says, I'll have followers because I'm so awesome I know someone will follow me just like I followed the Columbine shooters. He wrote that his parents and his family shouldn't be blamed for the attack. He wrote on February 19th, I've been planning this for a few weeks and thought about it a few months. I will never be forgotten. I'll be a stain in American history and the Simons history. It's going to be so much fun. They won't expect a thing. Now, we talked about this. We talked about this a couple of days after the shooting in Parkland, Florida. What is it that drives these vast majority of them young men, young white men, 
to do this? What is it about their lives that is so empty or so broken or a combination of empty and broken that spurs them to this place where they feel the only way they're going to get noticed, the only way they're going to be remembered is to go into their school, whatever it might be, junior high school, high school, college, and kill a bunch of people. He said, when they interview my parents and ask how they didn't see the signs, they should know it's not them, it's me, and it's because of how I see the world. Again, clear, clear delusion here. A clear compiling of victimization. And we talked about that as well, that a lot of times these guys believe they are the victims in all of this. They are the ones who have been pushed to the side of society, and they need to strike back to show they will not be victimized anymore. He said, I would hurt and destroy something bigger, but my school is an easy target. The family, mom and dad haven't commented, but some of the uh, some of the surrounding family has. There's an aunt who wrote on Facebook, my nephew was not evil. He was a sweet, loving, and caring boy. I will defend my bub until the end. He was a good boy no matter what. And I can, you, you got to just shake your head. How do you, how do you, how do you agree with that? You can't say, oh, you're right. You are absolutely right. That poor little boy, that poor little boy. Listen, this guy was intent on murdering people. And whatever it was that chickened, that made him chicken out, we can only thank there was a, a glimmer of, I don't even know what to, a glimmer of what, a, a glimmer of doubt in his mind that maybe he was doing the wrong thing. One of his other relatives says, we love you so much. We all love you so much. The family will always stand by you because we all knew how amazing you are in your own little ways. That, I mean, that's a, a level of making excuses for this kid that, boggles the mind an obituary which has since been taken down referred to this boy as caring quiet and gentle that he enjoyed practical jokes that he enjoyed archery nerf battling and video games a junior high in ohio has since stepped up its security and stationing a couple of police officers at the high school and the middle schools one at elementary schools until the end of the year and the police chief says listen I believe we need to come together as a community like we've never come together before. And in that case, again, that case, the kid took his own life and didn't kill anybody else. But even that community has to deal with this and the fear of somebody else being potentially inspired by this. It was an update I wanted to bring to you. The other story that we're going to cover throughout the day is the story about this couple in Joshua Tree. Have you seen this yet? A deputy driving through a very remote area of Joshua Tree made a discovery of three kids living on property that was littered with mounds of trash and several holes filled with human fecum. No electricity, no running water. That's not necessarily a crime, but no bathrooms, no heating. Somewhere between 30 and 40 cats roaming around this property. On uh, Wednesday, the 51-year-old mom, the 73-year-old dad were arrested on suspicion of willful cruelty to a child. 
The initial report was that these kids were living in a box, but they later clarified it. They were not being held captive in a confined space like we saw in the case of the Turpin children in Riverside County. The way the um, the way the sheriff's Morongo Basin Station referred to this is they're homeless. It's a shelter. It's the shape of a box. But when they showed photos of this property, it's a 20-foot long by 10-foot wide box. Here's the clincher. It's four feet high. And there's a plastic tarp draped over the roof, taped onto a wall of plywood. There are toys. Okay. They, you know, at least they had toys to play with in their 10-foot by 20-foot uh, box. They did have some furniture, some containers, but... You can imagine that as a storm rolls through like it has, like it did overnight, this kid, these kids, are, are are freezing out there. The sheriff's department said they did not have enough food. They were living in an unsuitable, unsafe environment, but investigators don't believe that they were malnourished. It's just tragic that the kids are being raised in conditions like this, according to the sheriff's department. They're not enrolled in public schools, 11, 13, 14 years old. They can be homeschooled, but it's not clear if they were. So um, County Children Family Services takes custody of these kids, and the parents are being held each in lieu of $100,000 bail. Compare that to the uh, to the Turpin case, David and Louise being held for $12 million bail each. So that's uh, just a ridiculously, I don't know, terrifying, if that's the right word. It terrifies me that there are people that are still living out there like this, that you got three kids and you can't take care of them without, uh, you know, living in a plywood box is not the way to do it. After these, uh, after the Turpin kids were rescued, of course, they were taken to the hospital. We updated last week how the uh, how the uh, adult children are doing, the older ones all being cared for. So... Uh, Janae on uh, on Twitter said the family's response gives a clue as to why parents rarely see it coming in the context of this teenager from Ohio who ended up killing himself. They don't want to see it. They can't see it. And I think that's a that's an absolutely perfect way to describe this, because if the parents are saying, listen, uh, you know, my nephew's not evil. He was a sweet, loving and caring boy. There is a chance that your nephew was evil and that he had you snowed, that you were the one. You were the one who didn't understand what was really going on. That he showed his true self to other people. He tro- he showed his ability to, uh, his desire, I guess, to kill other classmates. And it was the family. It was the family who was snowed by this kid. So, all right. Uh, coming back, we're going to get into the uh, the president's <laughs> tweets from this morning. A little bit about the uh, aluminum and steel tariffs that he's talking about. What sort of an impact that's had on Wall Street and why people are saying this is the beginnings of what could be an international trade war. But what I think is more fun for the Friday, the president bashing Alec Baldwin and the terrible impersonation that he says that Alec is doing of him on Saturday Night Live. Oh, and the one he did like will actually compare the two, who the president thinks should continue to do his impression on Saturday Night Live and Alec Baldwin. So all of this uh, little war of words is is coming to fruition follow us on social media at gary and shannon at uh, on, on facebook and on twitter and on instagram and you can still see some of our pictures from yesterday out live for our latest gas news and brews event at jt schmidt's in tustin and uh see everybody that turned out so gary and shannon will continue i don't ever want- 
Do you remember the uh, Columbia Record and Tape Club? For a penny, you could get it. You could get ten albums or ten tapes or ten CDs. For the first one, or the first ten. Right, for the first ten. And then they were like 20 bucks a piece after that. When I was in college, 92, this is our Flashback Friday here. When I was in college, everybody would do that at the dorms. They'd all send it for their penny. They'd get ten, and then they'd leave. Sometimes before the CDs were sent, and then... A bunch of people who worked at the dorms would have stacks and stacks and stacks of CDs that they couldn't return or didn't return is probably the better way to put it. <laughs> uh, this was one of the CDs that was in the pile. That's why I remember it. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Somehow it ended up in my dorm room. I don't know how. I couldn't imagine. I doesn't. I don't know. 92 is our uh, Flashback Friday. Or the year of birth for, uh, for producer Nick, our new producer here on the Gary and Shannon Show. A little bit later, we're going to be talking with, we're trying to hook up with Sabo, the uh, the street artist who's been using those three billboards to call out Hollywood for allowing sexual abuse, of course, before the big uh, Academy Awards on Sunday. And we're going to talk to him about it. Also, just more about what we can expect on Sunday, Sunday night. Are we going to see a bunch of political statements again God, for the not. Oscars? Are we just going to have people get just get up there and do your thing and entertain us and let's be happy. Let's have some fun here, right? You got to wonder if the, if somebody's talking though about it like to the actors and producers and all that because the ratings are down so much kind of across the board for all the shows cuz I, I think people are so sick of it. I think you're right, but I don't know if anybody's actually making those speeches to people. I think what's happening is that I, what we see in Hollywood is that they're pretty tone deaf to what everybody else wants and I don't think there's they're uh Hamstrung, I guess, by the uh, by the ratings and the potential to lose audience. They don't care. I mean, that's part of why they make the speeches in the first place. Is they don't care what we think. They think we care what they think. Does that make sense? They don't give a rip about you. They want you to care about them. And since you pay twenty bucks to go watch their movies, they believe that you care about what it is that they're uh, they're talking about. You like me. You really, really <laughs> like me. Exactly. Uh, all right. The president last night explained why it is that uh, he wants to have incredible tariffs, punishing tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. And that has driven up uh, tension with China. In the 1230 segment, we get into Swamp Watch. We'll talk more about this and sort of break this down, why this is, sit, is it has been received so negatively on the international scale. Um, everybody's been watching Wall Street as a result of this. Right now, the Dow is down, I think, about 180 points. So, uh, it had been down more than 400, but we're seeing a lot of volatility today as a result of that announcement. And for the most part, when it comes to tax policy, fiscal policy, monetary monetary policy in the government, everybody likes uh, everybody likes things to stay the same. They like sort of a, a static environment. They don't like the uncertainty of a president who can come in and just on a whim talk about punishing tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. In fact, there's a Republican uh, from Nebraska who said, listen, this is a kooky 18th century protectionism that's going to jack up prices on American families. And basically what the president's argument is, is sure, it might temporarily, but in the long run, we need to make sure that we keep America first. That's what the president has been saying. So we'll talk more about that. But the president had another great tweet today. What do you think he just tweeted? Sit back. Relax and enjoy my tweets. 
All right. Uh, he got up early today, and before he headed down to North Carolina for the funeral of the Reverend Billy Graham, he referred to Alec Baldwin. And the only thing I can think of is because somebody somewhere, maybe it was on Fox, they did a story about how Alec Baldwin is getting a new TV show. Uh, he's been doing a podcast for a while and kind of dabbled in TV before on MSNBC, but he's doing an interview show that's going to show up on ABC, and it's going to be, I think the premiere is going to be Sunday after the Oscars. So the president says in his tweet uh, eight hours ago, Alec Baldwin, whose dying mediocre career was saved by his terrible impersonation of me on SNL, now says playing me was agony. That's in reference to, uh, I guess, uh, an interview he did with The Hollywood Reporter. And he said, every time I do it now, it's like agony. Alec, this is the president again in his tweet, it was agony for those who were forced to watch. I don't know how this, I don't know how TV works in his house, but no one's forced to watch Saturday Night Live. Uh, Bring back Daryl Hammond, funnier and a far greater talent. All right, so let's leave it up to you. Uh, Who plays a better Donald Trump? First of all, Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. I have got the cream of the crop. I've got Sarah Palin. I've got Chachi. And get this, I've even got the best Baldwin brother, Stephen Baldwin. Alec Baldwin brings with himself a little bit of self-deprecation, of course. Here's Daryl Hammond earlier on as Donald Trump. What a great, great night. I really am running the best campaign, aren't I? The media is saying they haven't seen anything like this, not since Germany in the 1930s. I mean, we got to throw this one in there as well. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. You're the most amazing guy. You're brilliant. You're handsome. You're rich. You have everything going. The world is waiting for you to be president. So why are you hosting Saturday Night Live? Why? And the answer is... I have really nothing better to do. <laughs> awkward, awkward laugh. Do you remember that when he when he hosted Saturday Night Live? It was September of 2015, not long after he announced that he was going to run. Is that when he did the dance? Uh, yes, he did. I it the on, dance was funny uh, for the Drake video. Yeah, is that what? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was it. And it was a very controversial at the time, a very controversial appearance, and people were mad that Saturday Night Live would agree to let this guy host, or uh, in that case would ask him to host, but they knew Lorne Michaels knows exactly what he's doing. Lorne Michaels knows that we all were going to watch the president, well, so I guess the candidate Trump at that time, we all were going to watch him do his thing up there. Now, in terms of who does the better impression, it's clear to me Daryl Hammond does a better impression of him, but Alec Baldwin's character is better. I mean, Alec Baldwin plays Donald Trump with all of the manic uh, physical mannerisms that are totally exaggerated, but it's a caricature. That's what it's supposed to be. And I feel I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe I'm actually arguing that that Alec Baldwin does a better Donald Trump than Donald Trump or Daryl Hammond does. It's just a more enjoyable character to watch. So, and why the president feels like he's got to go after somebody like Alec Baldwin. I, I've said this multiple times since Donald Trump became the president. You are the president. Ignore people like Alec Baldwin. Ignore them. Ignore them. He can't. You've got nothing. They have, they have nothing on you. Ignore them. All he's doing is adding fuel to the fire when, when he does stupid stuff like this. All right. Uh, the big news 
uh, of the day, of course, is that there was no big news out of Montecito. And that was a wipe your forehead uh, whew, moment because of the storm that rolled through last night. There was concern that we would see some more mudslides after the mudslides from the beginning of January. And thankfully, there were none. Uh, as of an hour and 45 minutes ago, all of the evacuation orders throughout Santa Barbara County had been lifted. And at 1130 next hour, we're going to be joined by Chris and Carlo, who is in Montecito, spent the night there and uh, and watched as everything rolled down the creek beds the way it was supposed to and not through people's homes. So that was uh, that was good news. And we'll we'll check in with him at 1130. Everybody knows about feral animals, feral cats, uh, wild dogs, even wild horses in some instances. But there is now a problem with feral Bulls aren't aren't all bulls feral? No, no, no. I mean, like wild. Like yeah. nobody owns them. They're not on anybody's property. Wild bulls. Oh, not just like uh, the cow that uh, you know that owns the back forty over there. I'm talking about nobody owns these things. We'll talk about that and what the problem is that they are creating when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Baby, baby. little vacation guys you guys even know what these are right here not supposed to have these but i have a mole that has given me mole report mole report has given me the folders this one says nick baverka Uh uh-oh uh and this one says blake what Interesting. What's what is it? Oh, is it when we uh, for our internship application? Internship application. Mm. Oh my goodness! Blake and Nick. Actually, <laughs> I've been told that my letter was good, so you can go ahead and read that. Well, you, you did have. Well, first of all, a resume on two pages is really not real. It's not. Very that's not professional. professional. You can. It had yet to be edited. Well, then why did you turn down. it in? If edited that was your... down. I don't know. All right. This was in college. I didn't know what was happening. We'll have to get into Everything those. was a rough draft in college. I don't even remember what's Early coming. personnel files for Nick and Blake when we... Uh, man, it's nice to have moles working around here now. This is fantastic. Uh, one of the stories that uh, we've been following today is this shooting at Central Michigan University. There was a 19-year-old suspect who is still considered armed and dangerous and on the loose, described as a, a black guy, 5'10", short hair, last seen wearing yellow jeans and a blue hoodie. The interesting part about this is... These two people who were shot and killed were shot in a dorm on campus at Central Michigan. They say that the two people who were killed were not students. And someone has told the Detroit Free Press that, in fact, they were the shooter's parents. Uh, And that last night, this 19-year-old kid was hospitalized for what appeared to be an overdose or some sort of a bad reaction to drugs. So uh, getting more details and more information. And if the police hold any sort of news conference on that, we'll definitely bring that to you as well. Uh, okay. The Sand to Snow National Monument, you know where that is? 101,000 acres uh, right along the Pacific Crest Trail. And on a ridge line, if you make your way into the National Monument through, uh, through hiking or whatever it is, you're going to see a bunch of feral cattle you got to be careful. Now, there's a few things going on because the uh, Society for the Conservation of Bighorn Sheep, by the way, the second most boring annual convention, but the Society for the Conservation of Bighorn Sheep says that these 
long-horned, giant feral bulls that are snorting and stomping and pawing around through the Santa Snow National Monument have been terrorizing people who are hiking through there. You do not want to be on the business end of a 3,000-pound animal like that. 1,000 pound? I don't know how big they are. They're big. They're 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 a couple thousand pounds. Potentially. Um, the the bulls will look down on you as you hike through the park, through the National Monument. Some of them have lowered their horns towards hikers in an aggressive way. For the most part, they just trample the trail and eat all of the native vegetation. Do you know why? Because they're cattle, and that's what they do. But the Society for the Conservation of Bighorn Sheep, which live in the same area, are concerned that these feral cattle are going to transmit diseases, perhaps, to the native bighorns that live there. And they have counted a herd of feral cattle at about 150. They say there's 150 head out there ripping up the sand to snow National Monument, scaring the living crap out of the people who live uh, in or who, uh, who hike through the area. And as much as you would think uh, a board member for the Society for the Conservation of Bighorn Sheep had a giant heart for animals, he says, you got to kill these cows and bulls and you got to get them out of there. There's another uh, uh, danger in that Santa Snow National Monument, if anybody's been out there, pit bulls. A pack of wild pit bulls that has been killing and eating the feral cattle who are running through the national the the nature sanctuary. I'd be more scared of them. Yes, it, that makes perfect sense, right? You would be terrified to see a pack of pit bulls. There are cattle including some that are wild that are all over our open lands here in the state of California, millions of acres. Now they're saying that the proximity of this herd to a popular wilderness trail like the Pacific Coast Trail and others in that park, in that national monument, and the size of the herd at 150 head make it a pretty difficult problem for federal land managers. Part of the issue is if you go out there on a hike, you're in the middle of nowhere. Your cell phone does not work. Let's say you get on the business end of one of these feral bulls and he puts his bull part right into your back, I mean the horn. Chances are you're not going to be able to tell anybody that you just got gored and you're going to bleed out Old West style on some uh, on some ridge overlooking the sunset. Conservation groups have been calling on federal land managers to come in and try to bring this problem under control. But how do you do this? I mean, how do you how do you just go in and wipe out 150 unbranded cattle and dogs that don't have little cute tags on them with names like Fluffy? Fish and Wildlife Authorities said that they couldn't, although they tried, they couldn't lure the dogs into traps that were baited with food, by the way. Just hamburger works every time. But in the meantime, they're saying 150 feral cattle, a third of them are bulls, and we were right, by the way, 2,000 pounds. They are simply reshaping these canyons because of how big they are, how active they are, and they've been carving new trails and wiping out grasses that anchor against the soil erosion that we've seen. So uh, I would imagine that if you live in the San Bernardino area and you run a burger stand, you might get some sort of cooperative crossover going with the Federal Land Bureau of Land Management. They've, they're going to have some uh, they're going to have some cattle rolling in pretty soon.
Coming back, Sabo, the street artist that uses the billboards in Hollywood to call out Hollywood for the sexual abuse allegations that have been rampant over the last few months. We'll talk to Sabo in just a few minutes right here on The Gary and Shannon Show. I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave Gary and Shannon. I am, I, I promise you, a little bit later we're going to get into these personnel files that just showed up on my desk from an anonymous mole. It's uh, producer Nick's first application when he was an intern here, and also Blake's. Like, someone helped you put this together, right? I mean, this is not... Like, in what aspect? What do you mean? Well, I've been working with you for two years now, and I remember when you first came on as an intern. Yeah. And you have this full, like, full-page cover letter printed on really heavy stock paper. You got a two-page resume. I've never seen anybody kiss up as much as you did for this for this job. Well, I actually, I believe I used my brother because my brother's, uh, he's a manager over at the company he works at. Got it. So he kind of was giving me tips on, hey, do this. People look for this. People don't like this. This is repetitive. That kind of stuff. You're like the you're like the nerd in uh, in the senior high English class that went way too far for just a three page essay. Oh like yeah. Every th- oh okay. My I, I remember eighth grade history. He I used to it. tell us to like do notes. You know, this is how much you need to do. And I would darn near just copy the book because it ensured I got an A. Like, it was the easiest way to get an A. Nailed it. And I have an interesting little nugget about Nick's uh, employment past, which uh, should... You do? Yeah. I promise. Oh, okay. I'll get into it. Um, Gary and Shannon. Shannon's out today. She'll be back uh, a couple of days. She's just taking a quick, short vacation. Uh, One of the stories that we're following is uh, the Montecito mudslides. Chris Ancarlo was there overnight, watched all of the rainfall, and... Everything has been lifted. All the evacuation orders, thankfully, we don't have to worry about any mudslides, at least not right now. But they are not out of the woods yet when because we expect to see more rain coming in this month. And uh, so they're they're keeping an eye on things. But at least overnight, things went pretty well. So we'll talk with Chris at the bottom of the hour. But we wanted to bring on um, street artist Sabo, who has now been credited, I guess you could say, with uh, putting up three billboards outside of Hollywood, California. And uh, first of all, Sabo, what what was the point of putting up these three billboards that we've seen? Uh, the point is for Hollywood to get off its butt and start cleaning its own house. Do uh, you pretty much? Well, uh, let me read through uh, what these say. The first one is, uh, and the Oscar for biggest pedophile goes to dot dot dot, and it's an homage, I guess you could say, to the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was uh, a. a painful movie about murder and loss and a mother dealing with the grief the other the second one says we all knew and still know arrests and then the third one name names on stage or shut the hell up without giving away without giving away too many secrets how'd you do it uh with the help of uh, a couple of guys much younger than myself uh, I, I was I, I was up there, and after we got that second billboard up, and I realized it was upside down, I was about ready to call it a day. But thank God I had these young bucks with me because they're like, "Nope, let's just do it over." Uh, so. what, what do you expect to see on Sunday? I mean, I, no one's going to mention these, do you think? 
Absolutely not. These people are actors, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to act like nothing happened. And then Monday's going to roll around, and they're going to keep up with their witch hunt. Um, what do you uh, – are you going to watch? I don't get the impression that you're just, you know, on, on the edge to see how this is covered. Yeah, not really. Uh, I might only because I've got some morbid curiosity, and I, I, you know, I may try and comment on it on Twitter. But I, I'm only do it doing it just to troll them, not because I'm interested in them or their work. Um, well, you also t- took responsibility for the posters that went up about Meryl Streep uh, that had the words "she knew" right across her face, and it was all up around her house and everything. What kind of feedback did you get about that? Uh, I was surprised uh, at how much uh, how, how much it went around the world. I think it went viral like twice, and uh, I, I was quite surprised. And uh, that was a collaboration between me and another group, and uh, <clears throat> I got more heat from them than I think I got from the left. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you're attacking the queen of Hollywood at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, she calls Harvey Weinstein God, and she gave Roman Polanski a standing ovation, so... Uh, let's take a step back and outside of the billboards and outside of the Oscars, this this whole thing that has been going on since I mean, it, it it had been going on since before we knew about it. The Harvey Weinstein story that came out in The New York Times and New York Magazine. But since then, we've seen six months of it seems every other 24 hours, there's a new name that has come up or a new victim that has come forward. Uh, how, how can Hollywood clean its own house here? Oh, dear God. You, you know, man, I think this house is, you know, you're, you're talking about this deep, dark lake filled with man-eating sharks. I'm not sure you can. It, you know, uh, I just love watching them eat their own. I mean, when Matt Damon said something that was completely sensical, like, you know what? Not all offenses are the same. And they tore him to pieces. <laughs> I don't so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, we went, we covered that a lot of um, we spent a lot of time covering that, this comment that seemed in any other conversation in America would have been completely innocuous and everybody would have kind of sh- shook their head and nodded in agreement. But because somebody grabbed a hold of it and made it sound like he was even his comment was made to be as problematic and as disgusting as what Harvey Weinstein was doing to these women. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that they tore him up, or the fact that he apologized for it, right. tells you how scared everyone is in Hollywood. It's like being a liberal or a leftist. It's like you know to, to mind your place, and if you step out of line, uh, your fellow leftists are going to thump you in the head. And uh, that's who they are. Yeah, there's not a lot of room for, uh, for dissenting opinions or even clear opinions, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone that didn't vote Democrat, as far as they're concerned, is a Nazi. And that's where we're at. As far as they're concerned, you can punch a Nazi. So if you didn't vote Democrat, it's all right to assault you. That's where their heads are. We're talking with Sabo, the uh, the street artist who has been credited with setting up these uh, three billboards ahead of the Oscars coming up. to Talk about, um, I guess, calling out the sexual harassment issues in Hollywood, but also calling them out on calling each other out. When it comes to that, are you going to go? Is there a chance I saw that maybe you take Milo to the uh, to the Oscars? Well, you know, the scriptwriter was going to take me. I even went out and bought a tuxedo, and uh, she kind of went dark for a while. And I was like, "Huh, I wonder what's wrong with her." And and I spoke to a mutual friend, and they were like, "You know what? Her agent said uh, if 
if uh, she takes you to the Oscars, she'll probably never work again, man. And so I give her a call, and she says, I fell off a ladder and broke both knees. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. so I knew at that point it wasn't on. You sure and, that, and, that wasn't a yeah. hit of some kind? I don't know, man, but uh, I guess Weinstein was the one holding the ladder. Oh, that's... But, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, what is it? So I, so I put out a call. I said, if anyone's got tickets for me and Milo to go, he has a fabulous dress, and we'd be the, the belle of the balls. Come on, you guys. That We interviewed Milo about a year and a half ago when he was at the uh, Republican National Convention in Cleveland, and that was in the midst of all of the kerfuffle between he and Leslie Jones from, uh, from Saturday Night Live. And uh, I think you're right. He would look spectacular in a dress. Yeah, I'd have to get a top hat because he's a full foot taller than I am. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the oh, issue. Yeah. What about your opinions of Jimmy Kimmel? I know that you're not necessarily uh, on speaking terms. Uh, you'd be surprised how little I think of Jimmy Kimmel. It's it's like he's kind of like the uh, the idiot stepchild to Adam Carolla, uh, who's the man. And uh, I, you know, I don't even consider him a comedian. So how he even has work just blows me away. But you, but you like Adam. Yeah, I like Adam. You know, I mean, I, I've never followed Adam all that much. But, you know, in the past couple of years, I've been listening to him, and I'm like, damn, this guy makes sense. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that I hadn't listened to him in the past. I mean, he probably made sense the whole time through. Uh, well, and I think he's one of the writers, actually, for Jimmy Kimmel uh, this weekend. Yeah, that's why he doesn't put him down. <laughs> he wants to keep his job. <laughs> Well, um, any expectation about what we're going to be talking about on Monday in terms of uh, anybody who's going to come out and say anything about the allegations? I just want one of those egomaniacs to feel so important that they have to just throw someone under the bus and then all hell breaks loose. I, yeah, I, I think if one person does it on stage, someone else is going to feel compelled. And and I just hope the, the hills are on fire on Monday, but... I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I kind of doubt it, too. All right. Well, uh, any other big plans for – I know part of what makes you who you are is the surprise nature of what you do, but any clues you want to you wanna give? And uh, put best actress on them and try and throw them over the fence during the Oscars. Uh, I think that will be a call for an arrest. Uh, I'm just guessing. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I can't tell you what I'm going to do next. I don't need the police waiting for me. <laughs> Excellent point. Sabo, thank you. All right, well, thank you for having me. You bet. A street artist there known as uh, as Sabo. You know, live radio. Uh, one of the things that's, uh, that's expected this weekend is that a lot of people are considering this Sunday night's Oscar telecast to be yet another opportunity, and he was kind of hinting at it there, that it's just going to be a bunch of people blabbing about politics. And the question isn't so much whether... Politics are going to be part of the Oscars. They always are, and they have been for the last several years. Politics has marked award ceremonies of for all things. It's how they're going to be presented and how often is too often for them to come up before you and I and John Q. Public, public simply turn off the, the TV. And I've already heard a, a bunch of people who say that they're not interested in watching. They don't want to see – they don't want to sit through the politics. There's – uh, so they're going to read a book or, what? you know, they'll watch whatever, seven seconds on Netflix or something other than watching the Oscars. Part of the problem I think that you see and that we have seen out here, I mean, on the outside of Hollywood, 
is that they're so insulated. They're playing to the room there. And granted, at the Kodak Theater or whatever they call it now, you, you've only got, what is it, 2,000 seats, maybe 3,000 seats? Dolby Theater. Dolby Theater, thank you. That Those are the people they're talking to. They're not talking to John and, and Sarah and Pam. It's like Trump talking to his base. Well, yes, but I think with that, there's um, there could even be some pushback, and that pushback does not exist in Hollywood. I think that's what this guy was – I think that's basically what Sabo was talking about, that there's so many people – Meryl Streep is, is held up as his example of someone who knew things that were going on and did nothing about it because they got their own and they weren't concerned about the victimization of other people that came after them. Jimmy Kimmel, for example, Jimmy Kimmel says politics will be a part of the show. Specifically, he was referring to the Me Too movement, the hashtag Me Too movement. But And he told Variety this week, I think, he said, I can't give you a percentage of how much of the show it will be, but it will be a part of the show. He's coming off a year in which he became a political figure. If you remember, I think it was May of last year, he used what I thought was a was a very heartfelt discussion about his son's heart problems. Tetralogy of Fallo, I think that's what you call it, uh, an issue with holes in the walls of the heart. Sean White, the snowboarder, was a guy who suffered from that and had to have surgery. Uh, my nephew had that, so he had to have surgery. I, I know this, and I, I, I know that as a father – being able to take something to the public like that and hold up your own child as an example of something uh, is is can, is very personal. It's very heartfelt. And in Jimmy Kimmel's case, I thought that was exactly what he was doing. I didn't agree with what his political message was, but his his uh, the honesty of his discussion, I think, was important. But he talked about health care. He talked about gun violence. He talked about other issues. And a lot of people don't look at Jimmy Kimmel as the guy that they want to be their political spokesman. The notion that the Oscars have gotten so political has been driving viewers away, and I don't think they realize that. Because in that room, when you're in the Oscars, when you're in the Dolby Theater, and you say something like, and we've got to stand up for uh, liberal ideas or progressive America or people who feel disenfranchised by the current something somethings. When you say that in the Dolby theater, you're going to get a standing ovation, but you're not going to get a standing ovation from the rest of the United States of America. Stephen guest is a, a spokesman for the Republican national committee. And his argument is, listen, you've been watching. We've all been seeing how the ratings have been going down and he says if last year's dismal ratings didn't make it clear, Americans are not interested in Hollywood liberals blabbing about politics to a room full of Hollywood liberals. They're busy taking their crumbs to the bank after Republicans delivered on tax cuts, which, listen, as much as you can throw political shots at that room, I still think it's entertaining to see who wins the big awards. I don't care about the internal politics. I don't care about the messages I roll my eyes. My wife and I both yell at the TV like, well, just get to the funny part. Make me cry. Make me laugh. Don't make me think. That's not why I'm watching the show. A parade of companies, of course, we saw get into the political realm when they disassociated themselves with the National Rifle Association. And 
A lot of people believe that the national spotlight should be on politics at a time when a lot of us who deal with, I mean, Shannon and I have to talk about politics every day. And we don't want to have to sit through four and a half hours of more politics on a Sunday night. We just want to hear you do what it is that you do, which is act like somebody else. Patricia Arquette, if you remember in 2015, accepted an Oscar for boyhood. She called for gender equality and pay equity. Okay. I mean, you when you when they throw these in, when they throw these speeches, uh, these messages into their speeches, it doesn't rise to the level where I'm going to turn the TV off. And I know a lot of people don't like it that way. I would prefer it not the case, but I'm willing to put up with at least a little bit of it. In the lead-up to the Oscars last year, the question was, and there were bets even taken, about whether or not President Trump would tweet about the Oscars. Meryl Streep had blasted him during the Golden Globe speech, and she called him overrated, if you remember. And the president said, I think they were focused so hard on politics, they didn't get the act together at the end. It was a little sad. It took away from the glamour of the Oscars, referring to the screw-up over Best Picture, if you remember that last year. Oh, and by the way, I think they're coming back, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Me Too movement started in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. The criticism was aimed as much, if not more, at the entertainment industry as it was with other sectors of society. That's the part that I think bothers me the most about what they're going to get into when it comes to politics. And it was brought up at the Grammys, as a matter of fact. It was brought up at the Grammys, where even in the music industry, and Mo Kelly had told us before that it's uh, as prominent, if not more prominent, in the music industry than it was in entertainment in general, movies and TV, this idea of using young up-and-coming artists basically for sexual favors, and that was all. You don't get to, as a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, stand up on that stage and yell at me or yell at my industry or yell at my gender for the problems that are going on. When you have to clean up your house, and I think perhaps that's what Sabo's getting at, is you guys have to clean it up, and then we'll listen to whether or not you can come out on stage and blast me for being a man. The Me Too movement, of course, is about uh, is about sexual harassment, sexual impropriety, sexual assault, that sort of a thing. The Never Again movement, which I think is what we will see more of on Sunday, is what was launched after the shooting in Florida. And I think if you kept a tally sheet of which one's going to be mentioned more, Me Too or Never Again, I would say it sounds like the Never Again movement is the one that's going to be talked about most. Never Again, when it talks about gun control, gun legislation. There's a march on Washington in uh, a little bit later this month, I think it is, March 24th. A bunch of members of the Hollywood community, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, George Clooney, we're talking about the big three. They have all promised financial support for all of this. This is one of those things that could potentially stretch across political bounds. Not the gun legislation part of it, but the keeping our kids safe, however you do that. I think everybody from both sides of the aisle can agree Keeping kids safe is going to be our priority and should have been, should always have been our priority. And how we get there 
is probably up to each individual person, but that that is the one thing this never again movement should be about keeping kids safe. So we'll see how political it is. Again, I don't think it's political. I don't think it's so political that I won't watch, although my parents will be in town. So we'll see how uh, if who yells at the TV louder, me or them. Who do you think? (laughs) Probably me. They're pretty low key. It takes a lot to, to move them to anger. And do you yell, I love that dress? Or is it just political stuff? Uh, I will not point out a dress that I love, but I will point out clothes that I hate. You remember when... Well, then uh, you're body shaming, Gary, and that's a whole other problem. No, no, I said clothes, not bodies. Just clothes. Clothes that I hate. Like, that was a, that was a horrible mistake, and she should never be... <laughs> she should never be cast in another movie again because of the dress she chose. Perhaps. I'm not, I'm not that catty. Come on. When we come back, uh, Chris Ann Carlo is going to join us from up in Santa Barbara County. Spent the night there in Montecito in Santa Barbara, keeping an eye on the storm that there was a, a threat could unleash some more mudslides. Thankfully, it didn't. We'll talk about this uh, sense of relief, hopefully, that uh, has come over Santa Barbara County as the storm passes all the way through. And we have a couple of days of sunshine. And actually, why the uh, the rain was a good thing perhaps, for that area. That's all coming up next on The Gary and Shannon Show. Gary and Shannon. Shannon's out today. She'll be back soon on this uh, Friday, March 2nd. Uh, 1992 is our Flashback Friday year. It was producer Nick's birthday. We also haven't... uh, I haven't done 92 for a while, so these are horrible. Does this color me bad? It is all for love. Color Man. me bad. Wow. I am ashamed that I know that. Um, in the next segment, I've decided we're going to blow out the topic we were going to do, and we're going to go through Blake and Nick's first applications to come work at KFI. Um, some interesting insights into to young Blake and young Nick back when they were young. Not that they're young now, because... Anyway, uh, there was a flash flood warning issued this morning for the Montecito and Carpinteria areas in Santa Barbara County. There were mandatory evacuation orders, but they have been lifted. As of nine this morning, things are uh, things are looking good. Chris and Carlos spent the night out there. Um, true that you spent the night in the car, or did you find a bed? <laughs> no, I, I was I was in a hotel. I was civilized for once. Well, this time, this time. Uh, yeah. But it looks like things. I, I heard you on with Wayne earlier today. Uh, and the the best news is that while there was some muddy water coming down the creeks, that it stayed in the creek beds. Stayed in the creek beds, and even beyond that, it's good news because it was just enough rain that you get some growth, hopefully, on the mountains because it's been so bone dry here that perhaps some vegetation grows after this rainstorm. But also, a lot of the superficial stuff has been uh, washed back on down. So anything that was loose after that last uh, mudslide or anything that had not yet broken loose came down in a more orderly fashion. Not to say that you know these guys are out of the woods. It's going to be a, a few years. But rainstorms like this, officials tell me, are good news because it, it just helps all across the situation. Not to mention just again superficially getting the mud off of streets and off of sidewalks uh you mentioned the uh the potential for regrowth in those burn scars are they replanting in any way are they planting grasses or whatever just to begin that process 
It's a really good question. I don't know. One thing I did see yesterday when I was driving up the 101 is there was a lot of fresh grass that I don't know if it had been planted or if it was just taking off because, you know, a lack of competition from other shrubs that had been burned up. But right there, uh, I'd say adjacent to Rincon Beach or Faria Beach as you're driving up the 101, a lot of greenery right right along the roadside, which is good news one way or the other. Anything that's growing is going to help stop anything that's coming on down uh and i think that's what they're looking out for is the sun shining yet again it's been intermittent so i'm looking actually at some blue sky which is that's a nice first big gap of blue sky i've seen today but uh, the sun will peek out through some little holes in the clouds and then we'll see some mist and then we'll see a little bit of rain but it hasn't been anything nearly as severe as what we saw through the overnight hours and even then you know, I, I was up uh, a little bit before 4 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't see anything that was torrential by um, standards. I know we hit about half an inch per hour, which is that, that threshold for what could cause or trigger a, a mudslide. But for the most part, it was an e and it moved pretty quickly. I mean, from the time that it started raining to the time that it stopped raining, you're looking at a window of about uh, six or seven hours. Uh, when you roll through there, I, I was through there on Highway 101. I want to say back at the very end of January, you could still see giant boulders that had been moved out of the neighborhoods and sort of lined up along the roadsides in order to be taken out of there. Is, is, is that stuff still there? Do you still see signs of the original mudslide from the beginning of January? The, the signs are everywhere. I mean, it's all you've got to think the massive size of these boulders and trees and roots and the destruction. It's going to take years to get all of this stuff out of the way. And the the one thing about coming back up here after being here in the middle of the chaos and now you come back up and you're worried about more chaos, but you also see the progress that's been made. And really what the progress has done is given a um, a more clear picture of what actually happened here. So now you see the, tr- the true size of these boulders and what they did is they rammed into houses. You see all of the damage to the homes because the mud levels have subsided or they've, you know, all the mud's been scooped out of the way. You know, I was uh, telling Wayne earlier this morning about one tree that went crashing into a house the the roots of the tree itself and essentially taking out the first story of that house uh before when i had come up here i didn't see that because it was all covered in mud now that they've cleared the mud away you can see what that tree root is doing in a massive you know like 50 foot tall tree and uh, my hunch is that they can't move it yet because the house is now resting on the roots of that tree which is sideways poking out of the house and then you've got just piles and piles of boulders every which way that you look you know and you've got a couple of different fingers here and that's the thing that I, some folks maybe don't understand is olive mill of course is what we talked about that that was kind of the the ground zero if you will of the mudslide but uh but then also it was uh further up the 192 um and the san ysidro creek coming on down and and arguably arguably the damage was even worse there this other just finger of destruction coming down the mountain and um that's where we saw most of the flooding today although it wasn't severe it was enough that i could just walk through but still i mean everything just hanging by a thread in that neighborhood if you get any more rain i could see how very quickly the creek could uh could end up overflowing a bit did you get the sense that everybody um followed the evacuation orders over the last couple of days I'd say most people did. Uh, I did talk to one guy earlier who did not evacuate, and 
he had an interesting perspective because he was a pilot and he was telling me, hey, like I was sitting there looking at all the weather patterns and reading all the dispatches I get and just kind of saying, OK, it looks like this storm is not going to do what we think it's going to do. So I think I'm going to stay. And he said he stayed and he woke up at like two o'clock in the morning because uh, another one of the blasts went out on, on all the emergency channels and on the, all the phones. Um, and he I, he said he and his wife woke up for a couple minutes and went right back to sleep because the rain just did not sound as though it it was intense as though it was going to create the issue and the problems that uh, had been seen before. So he lives higher up, um, according to you know what he was telling me. So not necessarily within the path of destruction, but still within the burn zone. Now, the, there is another chance for some rain coming in over the weekend, but this is we're not expecting any big problems from that, right? From what I understand, no. This was the uh, this was the bigger biggest of the events that they were worried about on the uh, the weekly calendar of weather. Now we're not done with the wet season, and that's the thing that's setting in with a lot of people: the realization that not only this wet season, but next wet season and the wet season after that. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing affair. And I've spent the last I'd say probably about an hour and a half um, going to business owners and just kind of asking them about you know how business has been, how they've been able to deal with uh, all of this. And what I've heard are mixed results. You know, some people, they say that the community's really rallied around the businesses here, doing what they can to buy things when the businesses are actually open. But, you know, I talked to one guy, he said he's going to have to take out a, a loan just to make up the gap because, I mean, they lost like two months worth of, uh, of sales and right at critical times like Christmas. So, uh, they're all fighting with insurance. Some doing better than others. One guy I talked to, he said, yeah, insurance has been great. They're paying up as soon as we need it. Another guy I talked to, he said that, um, you know, insurance has been a complete and total hassle and that if they are closed for less than 72 hours, they can't even file a claim. So, you know, for the last 24 hours that his business has not been operating, he can't file a claim because of the way his insurance policy is written. It's got to be at least 72 hours closure. So a lot of little things happening here. And then on top of that, the three biggest hotels right around Montecito that draw people in from all around the world have been closed since the uh, the the uh, mudslide back on the 9th of January. Yeah. And so that's a huge customer base for these guys. Chris, thank you. Yeah. Hey, can I come back and uh, and take part in this roasting of, uh, of Nick and Blake? If you'd like to, I mean, it's it's going to be quite an interesting view into uh, to young guys who want to get into radio these days. But sure, I got no problem with that. No, it's all right. I I, I got to run. I just you know. <laughs> well, I'll do it in the I next just... few minutes so you can listen in. How's that? I I love that. All Thank right. you, Chris. Right, thanks, Chris and Carlo. They're live uh, out in Montecito. The latest is that uh, in in areas of the mountains, way up in the hills, they got as much as three and a quarter inches of rain uh, over the course of the last 48 hours or so. But down in the uh, Montecito area, they got basically maybe a half inch to three quarters of an inch. So good, good news in that there were no mudslides and uh, everybody could use a little bit of water. Maybe we get some growth in there and keep those hillsides where they are. When we come back, a little... Little Birdie. Little Birdie gave me uh, the original files on Blake and Nick when they applied for jobs here. So, And they're great. Well, got us jobs here, didn't they? Well, yes. You have a job here, don't you? I didn't do this. That's for certain. <clears throat> I guarantee you. I don't you. even remember what. Well, online. we're about to learn a lot about no, you. No. I kind of do. <laughs> I don't know. No. I'm going to bring some highlights to you when we come back. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue.
Shannon. 1992 is our Flashback Friday year. When we get into our trending stories, we'll tell you why it is that everybody wants to do this. Wow. Wow. They want to do Owen Wilson. Wow. 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 Uh, and where they're going to do them, if you're interested in doing that. Uh, in the 1 o'clock hour, Mo Kelly's going to join us. The Oscars come up on Sunday. We're going to talk about uh, what's com- what we can expect, probably, in Sunday's telecast. Also, the awards and predictions about the awards. But Mo also saw, and I know this is, I know this is coming, Mo saw the movie Annihilation, the new uh, Natalie Portman movie. And uh, when that came up this morning in the office, we all kind of went, yeah, I'd kind of like to see that. I, do, I really yeah, want to see right. it. It looks super unique and interesting. Let's just say it's none of those things. Let's just say <laughs> Mo didn't have a lovely thing to say on his Facebook page yeah, about it. It was not. Uh, Mo is going to rip this one apart. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll do that in the one o'clock hour. Uh, I stumbled across something. Oh, uh, some of the stories, of course. I mentioned the Oscars. There was also this shooting at Central Michigan University from this morning. Uh, an argument about what you would call a school shooting. I don't consider this a school shooting, although it did take place on a campus in a dorm. A 19-year-old kid accused of shooting and killing his parents in a dorm. We also found out police said this 19-year-old was in the hospital last night because of some uh, bad reaction or possibly an overdose to drugs. Uh, And as of this point, they have not captured the 19-year-old kid who's accused of doing that. So we'll keep an eye on that story. And then the president also uh, says he's going to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum. There's concern about a trade war. 1250, we're going to be talking with Lana Zak about what that means for the potential for trade war and also the president meeting with the NRA last night. All right, I found this, found this. Little mole works down the hall. Gave me Blake's first letter when he was applying for the intern position here at KFI. Can I just read the very first paragraph? Go for it. I don't it's care. It's so cute, Blake. Oh, it's just cute. Thank you. And I mean this totally tongue-in-cheek. If you've ever spent any time helping somebody put together a resume, every single one of Blake's key words is going to ring true to you. And you Which have makes sense. One, because two, three, four, five-paragraph cover letter. Yep. That's a lot of paragraphs. That's how big the page was. And let me, let me boil down the, the five paragraphs. I really want to work at a radio station. Basically. Sincerely, Blake Doan. Yeah. Right? That is pretty much how it gets down to it, yeah. (laughs) I like broadcasting. I want to do it with you guys, please. Right. And then you talk about your different uh, experience within the broadcast journalism field. Anyway, I'm going to read to you the opening paragraph to Blake's letter as he applied for an internship here at the great and powerful KFI. Wait, uh, hold on. This was from 2013. Yeah, January 2013 is when I started here. Okay, yeah, so five years 2013, ago. five years ago, Blake, fresh, still in college at the time. Uh, here's Blake's letter. At the, sorry, sorry. I love because it starts out with a with a with an assumption about you that is not true. But I'm gonna here we go. What's not true? At this point in my professional career, you're still in college. I had a job. You didn't. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what the job was at this point, which had nothing to do with radio. That's true. Okay, here you go. At this point in my professional career, I am extremely interested in and excited with 
the opportunity to serve as an intern within a broadcast team. Okay. I look forward to any and all opportunities and chances to utilize my education as well as expand upon what I have learned through real, applicable situations. Okay. I would greatly appreciate any available positions and roles within your broadcast journalism team and am fully invested in this chance to execute the skills I possess while developing and tuning various others gold so far very clearly gold the language that you would use in any everyday conversation you're talking about uh utilizing your education expanding upon what you've learned in your applicable situations i'm pretty sure that you knowing me my everyday language would not have gotten me an internship here that is also very true so i think uh, it's very smart of me for using applicable and execute. It, it describes a bit about your time at Cal State Fullerton. It talks about the the skills that you have learned, uh, how you wanted to be in broadcast journalism since the age of 12, etc. And then the very bottom, the last paragraph. Again, I appreciate any opportunity that your organization would make available to me as an intern. I am excited and interested in the chance to work as an intern within a professional broadcast journalism team. I'd hire me right there. <laughs> Ball well, game. good news is you did get hired. Now, you, again, back to that first line. At this point in my professional career. The point was the beginning. Okay. That was the point. All right. Up to that point, you have, uh, in terms of your professional work experience. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Box boy. That's true. Meat department assistant counter hop. That's what they're called, man. And everybody stand by. No. Sandwich artist. Yes. Lovely. Where? It was, uh, it was, well, it was all at the same place. It was over a little mom and pop grocery place out in Glendora called Plaza Produce. That's not. Gary, didn't you ever work at like a fast food place? No. You didn't? Dude, didn't you deliver Chinese food? Oh, yeah, but that wasn't fast food. Was your car that slow? Yes. Uh. 1977 Volkswagen <laughs> Rabbit. Um, let me also show uh, that, for the record, Mr. Viverka had uh, his resume, which, by the way, you could do better font than this. What did I pick? I don't know. It's like Times Comic New Sans? Roman. Boring. Oh, that's, that's boring. Um, but you at least got it all on one page, including your references, which is unusual. Blake oh. had to do two. He wasn't clear on how to do margins, apparently. Half inch. But yours, um, yours, I thought was interesting. You worked at my video store slash barber shop. <laughs> yes. The hell? Well, okay. Hang on. Okay, I'm ready. What the I've the never plaza, heard the combo. The, the, the plaza where they were in, there was a, a video store and a barber shop, and then uh, a different company bought the plaza, and it became really expensive, and they merged. So you would walk in uh, to the left. There right. were two little barber chairs. Yes. And then you could walk in and get and grab uh, a your video. movies. Yeah, it was a great job. Okay. It, I didn't know there were video stores as of 2012. They closed in 2012, in fact. That was, uh, I believe, Halloween 2012 was the last day. Okay. But it was a great job. Well, see, you guys, anybody can get a job in radio. All they got to do is try hard. At this point in anyone's professional career... 
It could be extremely like, interesting. <laughs> people come up to me at remotes. I've always wanted to get in radio. You totally can. All, you like, do all of you can. Is be a sandwich artist at a barbershop <laughs> slash video store. And then you're in. All right. When we come back, all of what's trending on Gary and Shannon. Don't tell my heart. Six years old. Achy, breaky heart. 1992 is our flashback Friday year. Shannon's out today. She'll be back on uh, Tuesday. Just a quick little vacation. Nothing to worry about. We're going to be talking at the bottom of the hour about Swamp Watch, stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C., and uh, a little bit about the trade wars that are potential, uh, that are on the, uh, I guess, on the horizon, potentially, because of the tariffs on steel and aluminum imports that the president announced, why people are upset with those, and what it's done to Wall Street today. Talk all about that coming up. Uh, Also, Mo Kelly's going to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. We're going to go through what we talk about uh, every Friday before Oscars, and that is what the movies are nominated, which ones we've seen, which ones we haven't, and which ones should win, perhaps. What else is going on, Blake? Time for What's Happening. One of the uh, locally trending stories is what appeared to be at first another case of the Turpins. This one, uh, parents of three kids who were found living in a box in Joshua Tree, set to appear in court today on charges of willful cruelty to a child. These kids, aged 11, 13, and 14, have been living out in the middle of the desert for the last four years, literally in uh, a plywood enclosure. Uh, I guess you could say that it was their home made of plywood and mattresses exposed to the elements, no electricity, no running water. And they said mounds of trash and human feces found in the area around the box. The kids didn't have enough food to eat. While the while the deputies showed up to do a wellness check Wednesday morning, that's when they found the kids. Children and Family Services showed up, of course, and took custody of the kids. The parents, 51-year-old Mona Kirk and 73-year-old Daniel Panico, Arrested, charged, and to the uh, Morongo Basin Jail on suspicion of willful cruelty to a child. They are right now being held in lieu of $100,000 bail, but it's probably, I would expect it to go up once they make their court appearance. The other thing is, as you would, I don't know if you expect it or not, but uh, the unfortunate part about this, they also found dozens of cats. Dozens of cats. Why does it have to always be cats? Because they're self-sufficient. Cats. I don't... I mean... I think it's it's very obvious mm, you don't like cats. I mean, I guess I like a cat. But 40? That's a little... <laughs> Come on. There's There's got to be a limit. I think two should be a limit. Anybody who's got more than two cats, you might want to talk to a professional. About well, they're probably kind of feral and they kind of do what bunnies do. So that's probably how they ended up with so many. Oh, great. Even worse. Uh, all right. The other story that we watched uh, through the night, overnight hours was the story about the storm that rolled through. Things are lightening up right here in the valley quite a bit. I don't think we're going to see any more rain. If if anything, for the rest of today, it's going to be very, very low uh, accumulations, just some sprinkles here and there. But there was a section of PCH that had to be closed and is still closed. Uh, the traffic report there at the top of the hour just said it was still closed at Topanga 
uh, right after 1030 this morning, as a matter of fact. No idea when they're going to reopen that, but they'll uh, they'll be working on that. In the area of the Latuna fire burn in Burbank, they're waiting for uh, the potential for mudslides. They're still bracing for this. And as we saw after Montecito, just because the rain has gone through doesn't mean the threat of mudslides is necessarily over. But uh, as it goes away, the, the threat does diminish. And the good news, best news perhaps, of the storm was that in Santa Barbara County, all of the mandatory evacuation orders were lifted as of 9 o'clock this morning after the Sheriff's Department and emergency officials there in Santa Barbara County talked with the fire agencies and other public officials. That's good news because the area just below the Thomas Fire Burn area saw those deadly mudslides at the beginning of January. 21 people were killed. And as Chris Carlo told us last, last hour, it looks like for the most part – they dodged a bullet this time, and the, the creeks that six, eight weeks ago were the subject of massive mudslides were able to contain what turned out to be just a, a small trickle of rain through there. Central Michigan University is trending today. Central Michigan University Chippewas were the subject of a, a, sh- a shooting early today, but this is not a normal school shooting. It was on campus. It was, in fact, specifically inside a dorm But they're saying that two people shot and killed at Campbell Hall at Central Michigan University were not students. And the first reports were they believed that the situation started from a domestic incident, whatever that meant. But I immediately thought it may have been the parents. And in fact, they said they're looking for a 19-year-old kid, 19-year-old young man, who may have shot and killed his own parents in the dorm. The other story from the Detroit Free Press is that that same man was in the hospital as of last night because of some sort of a bad reaction to drugs, maybe an overdose, maybe an allergic reaction, whatever it was. It may not be connected, but the day before this, Central Michigan also penalized a couple of fraternities and a sorority for uh, some hazing violations, and they were going to be kicked off a of campus. But I don't know if those are connected at all. Just that was the other, only other headline that has come out of Central Michigan University in the last few months. Oscars-wise, we'll talk more about this with Mo in the 1 o'clock hour. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are probably going to get the Oscar do-over that they've been waiting for. TMZ said that they were uh, reportedly spotted at the Oscars rehearsals today. It's not clear... What category they're going to present, but Warren Beatty and uh, Faye Dunaway say presenting is better the second time around. (laughs) Last year's ceremony, you'll remember, ended with a bit of a fiasco after Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway mistakenly named La La Land as the best picture. Well, they were given the wrong envelope. Is that what happened? I mm-hmm. thought it was that, that they just read the wrong... No, they had the wrong envelope because she looked at it and it said, like, producer La La Land or something like that. So they actually had the wrong envelope. Uh, no, no. The, yes, they were given Emma Stone's Best Actress Award yeah, envelope. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Not the Best Picture envelope. Got it. So, anyway, they're going to fix that. I hope they make fun of themselves. I hope they don't take themselves too seriously because it really didn't end the world uh, last year like everyone thought. Uh, The Dow was down more than 1%. Uh, Right now it's down 227 points for a a fourth straight day after mounting fears of this global trade war. We'll talk more about this with Lana Zak later this hour. But 
The president uh, promised to impose very punishing tariffs on steel and aluminum imports coming into the United States. All but eight of the 70 members of the S&P were lower, and the Dow was down. I mentioned uh, more than 400 points earlier in the day, right now down 221 at just over 24,000. So big storm rolling through the East Coast. You'll see a lot of pictures from uh, storms moving in the nor'easter, they're calling this one, uh, or a a nor'easter. The Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency says that parts of Massachusetts received 8 inches of snowfall and could get up to 18 inches of total snowfall through the duration of the storm. And they're saying they could, in the warmer areas, get as much as 5 inches of rain. Just to give you an idea of how bad the storm is, a Delta pilot who landed at Dulles, said that everyone on his airplane ralphed as they came into oh, Dulles. Oh, no. Because of how rough it was. Oh, my. Oh, boy. Could you imagine? No. I don't think I've ever seen. I know every seat has its own barf bag, right? I don't think I've ever seen anyone ever get sick on an airplane. I don't ever. think I have either. And I know people do it because I've heard people tell stories about Ralphin into those bags. Oh, and, and everybody it, and it going did everywhere because oh. everyone can smell it, and then it just becomes, uh, then it just becomes like the pie eating contest and stand by me. <laughs> but uh, I don't think I've ever seen this. And then finally, we got to end with this one because this is a good, good story. Owen Wilson fans are going to gather at the Alamo to say "Wow," like Owen Wilson. I don't know why, but I guess wow. I guess that's just the thing. March 18th, 8 p.m., uh, there's just these memes going around of him saying, wow. And he says, I don't know why, I just find them super funny. Well, part of it is that in every movie you find Owen Wilson, wow. he says the word wow. And he says it just like that in his crooked-nosed um, attitudinal way. Coming back, dog show this weekend. Dog shows are important. And they make us better people. I'll explain why when we come back. David Fry is going to join us from this weekend's Barking with the Stars, the Beverly Hills Dog Show out at Fairplex. Gary and Shannon, we'll get into a Swamp Watch. At the bottom of the hour, talking about Washington, D.C. stuff, the tariffs on steel and aluminum that the president has promised and why that could potentially lead to a trade war. Uh, No big problems in Montecito overnight, so that was uh, very thankful. All the evacuation orders in Santa Barbara County have been lifted as a result of this storm rolling through and no big deals. Uh, In fact, just the right amount of rain, just enough to get the uh, the hills wet, maybe start some growth and keep those uh, keep those mudslides in place. Well, Last year, we had the opportunity to welcome in some uh, friends from the Kennel Club of Beverly Hills because the Beverly Hills Dog Show took place. And uh, if you got a chance to see the replay of it a little bit later on television, guess what? This weekend is, yet again, the Beverly Hills Dog Show out at Fairplex in Pomona with the uh, Kennel Club of Beverly Hills. And joining us to talk about it, David Fry, one of the guys you'll hear uh, doing the telecast. I think, uh, David, April 1st is when they're going to show it, right? 
Easter Sunday, April 1st from 6 to 8 p.m. Yeah, come on down. Come join us. Man, I got to tell you, last uh, last year's version of of the dog show was the very first dog show I had been to, and I cannot wait to go back. See, that's what people say. They think that these are dogs that sit around on doggy cushions eating doggy bonbons all week long, and uh, and the reality is that they're real dogs, just like your dog at home stealing food off your counter and sleeping on your couch and shedding on your black clothes. So uh, come on by and you get to get up close and personal and hug them just uh, like you can't do with any other athlete in any other sporting event. Yeah, and that's the thing is uh, we went, we have a Scottish Terrier at home, and we wanted to know more about our breed and and how people take care of it, what, you know, the, the, the things that make our breed happy, you know, is it exercise, is it, is it close, you know, that sort of a thing. And that's a great opportunity for people who are dog owners to ask the experts, to ask the people who are uh, experts in those specific breeds. Absolutely. It's a, a great educational opportunity, is, and it really is a celebration of dogs. It's not just purebred dogs. It's all the dogs in our lives. There are dogs that are out there competing in agility that are mixed breed, and the AKC actually registers mixed breed dogs so they can compete in some of those uh, performance categories. But for us, the, the dog show is the one that's all about purebred dogs. And we, we talk about loving them all, but with purebred dogs, the greatest thing is their predictability. I know what they're going to grow up to look like. If they're a four-pound ball of fluff and it's a Pomeranian, it's going to be much different than being a four-pound ball of fluff uh, that's going to grow up to be an 85-pound Akita. So, and they look a lot alike when they're down at that size. And so, it's, it's, Tom, get an idea of what you're going to get into, and that makes for success down the line. The, you mentioned this at the very beginning, though. It's not just you know these pampered dogs who get their hair blown out by a brazilian uh you know hair care expert the, <laughs> yeah, they these got better hair care products than any of us right sure. uh but it's the, it's the working group it's the mastiffs it's these great uh swiss mountain dogs it, it's some of them are these giant danes great danes the giant schnauzer and things like that it's not all these little toy fluffy things that people get annoyed by <laughs> No, no, David, we do not like them. We're going for the big, strong dogs here. I I got a Cavalier. I used to have Afghan hounds. I've got a Brittany, too, that, you know, I've I've had a little bit of everything in my life, and I'm I'm thankful for every single one of them. Uh, But, but yeah, you get to see them all, and you can say, yeah, that's the dog I want pulling me around in my cart. So (laughs) we'll have fun with them no matter what happens. And it's great because you're going to see 175 uh, different breeds and varieties at the dog show. You know what I and I mentioned this before, but I, I think the greatest thing was you could stop anyone with any of the dogs and ask them questions about their dog, and they're happy to to fill you in on the uh, whether it's the lineage of that particular dog or you know specifics about the breed. Everybody was very very friendly. Absolutely, I think that's part of the educational process that we feel that responsibility. Responsible purebred dog breeders are going to want to talk to you. They want you to know about their breed. And and if you're trying to find out a a good breed for your family, it's best to ask those people so that you know when they start doing strange things at some point in their life that it's expected. Are you teaming up with John Hurley again? John Hurley and I are partners uh, for the second year. We've done the National Dog Show on Thanksgiving Day on NBC, presented by Purina, that uh, we've done that 16 years now. We just had 30 million people watch that show this past Thanksgiving. Wow. Uh, I know that we watched it. We sat around the house. We recorded it, actually, so that we could all watch it as a family. That's great. David, we'll keep showing them to you. You guys do a great job. David, thanks. Hopefully we'll see you out there this weekend. Thank you. Come on out. Admission is free. We're going to talk about that. Free admission, $12 for parking. 
Uh, it's all day long, both days, two different dog shows, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So come and see us. Excellent. David is going to be doing all of the TV stuff that will be rebroadcast, or should say broadcast, on Easter Sunday on April 1st. David Fry and John O'Hurley will be on TV. Mary Carrillo as well. J- David, thanks for your time. All right, Gary. Nice to talk to you. You bet. Talk to you again soon. You bet. Uh, and again, admission totally free out there. Uh, you got to pay to park, but admission into the dog show itself is totally free. And it's, uh, again, I'm going to say this again. Clearly, if you are a dog lover, if you're an animal lover, and you have not been to a dog show, you have got to check it out. If nothing else... Just to sit on the sidelines and view the spectacle that is a dog show. That's what I'll say. When we come back, Swamp Watch. A quick bit into uh, what's going on with the trade war threat and also all the other good nuggets coming out of Washington, D.C. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. Well, here we go into uh, Swamp Watch, where we talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. A couple of big stories. One of the ones that we'll get to in just a few minutes is actually the story about the trade war that is apparently about to be set off. The markets around the world were shaken by the president's decision to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. We'll talk about what led to that decision with Lana Zak. There was also a, a meeting last night between the president, vice president, and a representative of the National Rifle Association. And the president tweeted about that. And so did the NRA. Uh, and it sounds different than what we saw coming out of the roundtable meeting the president had with lawmakers earlier in the week. So we'll talk about that. One of the stories is that National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster is in real jeopardy of losing his job. CBS News is reporting this story. They said that they have sources that tell them that McMaster is uh, could be out of a job very soon, possibly before the end of the week. So maybe a couple of days. Um, that died down a bit. Uh, when last night the White House said he's not going anywhere. The principal deputy press secretary, a guy named Raj Shah, says that the White House, and specifically this White House, faces all kinds of rumor and innuendo about senior administration officials and has uh, since it's been in place. And he says there are no personnel announcements at this time. The The story was that the White House chief of staff, John Kelly, and the defense secretary, James Mattis, we're planning on removing H.R. McMaster. He is the second national security advisor, of course, to serve under the president because uh, Michael Flynn was the one who stepped down. The White House is claiming that this story from CBS is totally incorrect. In fact, uh, I was just with the president and H.R. McMaster in the Oval Office, uh, according to Michael Anton, a spokesman for the National Security Council. He says that the story is fake news, that one and the one that appears in NBC. However, sources have told Major Garrett, the White House correspondent for CBS News, that the tension is real and that an exit strategy is possibly in the works. One of the names I've already seen thrown around as a possible replacement for H.R. McMaster is a friend of the Gary and Shannon show, John Bolton, and his mustache, who would automatically get a deputy national security advisor um, uh, title if, in fact, John gets the job. Another story is... That the follow-up on Jared Kushner losing his top secret security clearance 
is that federal investigators are trying to figure out whether any of Dimples Kushner's business discussions with foreigners during the presidential transition have shaped White House policy at all in ways designed either to benefit those people who are giving him jobs, giving him money, or retaliate against those who didn't negotiate the way he wanted them to. Uh, Special counsel Robert Mueller's team has been asking witnesses about Dimples Kushner, about the negotiations that he was involved with, about financing that he secured for his family's real estate properties, focusing specifically on those discussions that happened during the transition. So from election day to inauguration, the two months, basically two months and two weeks, maybe uh, of the transition, specifically with individuals from Qatar and Turkey, possibly as well as Russia. China and the United Arab Emirates, who have been uh, those five countries there that have all been in discussions in some aspect with Jared Kushner and whether or not the Kushner company real estate business is using the position of the White House and foreign policy that's presented thereby to go after them, to retaliate against them or even to benefit them. But he's not the only one. Jared Kushner, that is. Because the FBI is now looking into the negotiations and the financing surrounding another Trump property, or I should say Trump-branded property in Vancouver. That deal was completely negotiated by Ivanka Trump. And what's strange is this is not a Trump property. This is not a Trump building. It did open in January of 20, or sorry, February of last year. So it was after the president took office. And it's not owned by the Trump organization. A Malaysian family owns it. And what they do is they license the Trump name. They get licensing. Trump gets licensing and marketing fees from the developer, in this case, the Malaysian guy and his family. But the Canadian developer also pays into that. So it's not even a Trump property. It's the negotiation of the property that's under investigation. But we don't know why. Now, the FBI counterintelligence group is investigating Ivanka's business deal, supposedly. Again, follow the sources, this being reported by CNN. But they don't say why. I mean, the timing of it could be of interest. If, in fact, it opened right after the inauguration, there had to be some negotiation that took place during, again, the transition. But we don't know. We don't know if it's the the, the foreign money flow, the direction it went either from the developer or from condo buyers who may have been in there internationally as well, could be sparking scrutiny, could be the fact, simply the fact that she's married to Dimples and the uh, the dealings that he's been involved with. Um, So we don't exactly know why it is the FBI is said to be investigating, but CNN says they are. The president also said he has a very strong measure to take against the opioid crisis. That he's spoken with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Mr. Magoo, about suing the makers of opioid drugs just days after the Justice Department announced that it was going to be helping a long list of county and municipal governments do just that. So whether the federal government would go after them on its own or just simply join the lawsuits, add some uh, some meat, some beef behind the uh, the lawsuits of these other municipalities. But the president also suggested that we need to kill drug dealers. He said that we would be introducing very strong penalties and 
reminded the audience there at the Justice Department, some countries have a very, very tough penalty, the ultimate penalty. I don't know why he didn't just say they put him to death. And by the way, they have much less of a drug problem than we do, he said. Not sure if that's exactly the right way to put it. But in the Philippines, I think that's probably the easiest example that he would point to and that everybody thinks of when they think of this. Rodrigo Duterte has been killing people left and right. That president, uh, there are 12,000 drug users and dealers who have, finger quotes, who have died in the last two years since their drug war began in the Philippines. They have died. Whether or not the government had anything to do with those deaths uh, is a little bit hard. Some of them are executed at the at the end of a uh, local police officer's gun. Drug trafficking, by the way, is punishable by death in 14 countries, but only seven of them actually in any real fashion do it on a regular basis. China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Singapore. So the Philippines not even on that list. So not a new thing. Oh, we come back. We're going to talk more about the potential trade war that started because of tariffs on steel and aluminum. Lana Zach's going to join us. But before the top of the hour, I have to tell you about this uh, state house seat that is being uh, campaigned for. One of the candidates in that race to take over a a house seat in the state of Texas has received mm, close to $90,000 worth of campaign donations. But more than half of it is made up. I can't even describe. It's made up of a certain type of donation that apparently is not unusual. But dear semen is a thing. I'll explain next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. On this Friday, March 2nd, one of the stories that is dominated today is a story about the president saying he's going to impose punishing tariffs on steel and aluminum and the potential uh, trade war that may come as a result of that. Also, this uh, story about the meeting at the NRA uh, with the NRA from last night at the White House. So we'll talk about both of those things. Lana Zak is joining us to talk about it. Let's start with the uh, let's start with this potential trade war. What's going on? Uh, the president says he's ready for a trade war. He thinks it's going to be easy to win. He sort of, uh, in some ways, seems to be taunting China, especially. At least that's how uh, many uh, are taking the president's most recent comments about a major tariff on uh, imported steel and aluminum. And the stock market just doesn't seem to be a fan of that. Uh, we saw the down dropping tremendously yesterday. Uh, the S&P 500 as well. Both continue to be down. And and really hurt by this, economists are saying that uh, while this is great rhetoric politically, uh, what it will ultimately mean is that you and I and everybody listening is going to end up paying more money for any of those goods that are imported that use steel or aluminum. Uh, and so we're going to be the ones who ultimately pay that tariff. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of different headlines that basically intimated uh, it's, it's good publicly, but economically it could potentially hurt a lot of people. 
Right. And there are some areas uh, that are dependent on uh, the steel and aluminum industry that are rejoicing at, at the president's announcement. Uh, Ohio, in particular, um, looks to, to potentially benefit from this. But uh, in California, not so much. Now, how was this? Was this just announced via Twitter? I mean, was this was there a specific policy that came out? Was there a position paper or anything they put out by the White House for this? Yeah, the president had received a recommendation uh, last week um, that uh, that encouraged this. Uh, another one of his advisors, though, um, Gary Cohn, had had been in opposition to it. So it, there, it wasn't unanimous across the Trump administration. And so for many people, when the president from the from the White House announced that he would, in fact, be uh, be doing this and imposing that 25 percent uh, tariff on on imported steel, uh, if I percent on aluminum. Um, that took a lot of people really by surprise. There's one person, though, that people are wondering maybe wasn't surprised enough. Carl Icahn, uh, Icahn rather, um, somebody who's very close to President Trump, formerly a, a Trump advisor who, who sold off $31 million in stocks in a company that heavily dependent on steel just a few days before this announcement. So some people are also raising some concerns about uh, how much he might have known about this announcement before it came out. You can't raise your eyebrows too high. They might fall off of your forehead. Hmm. Uh, well, one of the things <laughs> that happened out for falling eyebrows. Right. That's, always, that's always a concern, Gary. One of the other stories that hit last night was that the president and vice president had met with a, um, a member of the National Rifle Association there at the White House. And that sort of prompted a tweet from the NRA, from this uh, lobbies for the NRA, that basically suggested that the president was backing away from the positions that he had been talking about with lawmakers on Wednesday. Yeah, he he tried to reassure uh, folks that um, that the president believes in due process. So when he said take the guns first in the case of somebody who could be a, a threat to themselves or others, and and figure it out with the courts later, that that's not actually what the president meant, or or that he changed his position on that. And in fact, we've actually heard from the White House something that sounds like a change in the president's position as well. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders today saying that the president uh, still believes in increasing our background check system and enhancing it, but he doesn't necessarily believe in universal background checks. So uh, it's all throwing a bit of cold water, especially on Democrats and the Republicans who were pushing for some level of um, of gun control legislation following that Parkland massacre that, uh, that perhaps just because the president said some things uh, in that bipartisan meeting at the White House earlier this week, that's not necessarily where he's going to ultimately end up. Yeah, we shall see. All right, Lana, thank you. Great to talk to you, Gary. Lana Zach there with the latest out of Washington, D.C. One of the stories uh, politically that I wanted to bring to you is the story about South Texas. <clears throat> there is a judge, Annalisa Garcia, district court judge, who is running to unseat a Democrat in the state house there in Texas. And Annalisa Garcia has received, sorry, Annalisa Garza has received $51,000 in in-kind donations to her campaign listed as individual donations of deer semen straws, which apparently in Texas is not all that unusual. Deer semen in Texas is a common way for deer breeders to donate to political campaigns. They're valued at about 1000 bucks a pop. A deer breeder who serves as the treasurer for the Texas Deer Association says that, in fact, the political action committee for the Texas Deer Association has received more than 
$975,000 in deer semen donations since 2006. Fred says semen is a very common way for us to donate. One collection on a buck could lead to 60 straws sometimes. If you have a desirable animal, it's a way to bring value without breaking the bank. Buck Wood, who is a campaign finance and ethics attorney, of course, says that these donations technically are not in kind since the money, not the actual straw of semen, is given to the campaign. What they do is they will auction off the straws and then donate the money itself to whatever campaign they're looking at. Not unusual in Texas. All right, when we come back, I have an update on the Larry Nasser story, and it is a twist that you will not have seen coming. I promise. That's going to come up next on The Gary and Shannon Show. Gary and Shannon, it's Friday, March 2nd. Shannon's out today. She'll be back on uh, Tuesday. Short little vacation. Uh, There is a, the big story out of D.C. today was that the president was talking about imposing tariffs on steel and aluminum. And when the market opened this morning, it dropped immediately by several hundred points. Well, it's back. Um, According to uh, MarketWatch, it looks like the Dow will end the day down just 70 points, which is less than a quarter of a percent. Uh, In fact, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both ended up in positive territory today. So uh, as much as people were terrified that this was going to signal a trade war and that the markets around the world did not like it, at least the domestic markets seem to be okay with it for now. We shall see what happens uh, the rest of uh, the rest of the markets when they open back up on Monday. One of the stories that we've we've talked about the last couple of months is the story of Larry Nasser. Remember, he was the U.S. Uh, Olympic Committee's choice to be the gymnastics doctor. He was also working at Michigan State. And as we've seen over the course of the last couple of months, 200 and, I think it's 260-plus women had come forward to say that this guy basically I don't, basically is not the right word, and it's not correctly used, that he had molested them, that he had abused them. He was sentenced last, no, sentenced in January to 300 years in prison for all kinds of sexual conduct charges, sexual misconduct charges. Well, gold medal Olympians were among those who were molested by this guy, who were abused by this guy. Allie Raceman was one of them, Olympic gold medalist. She has now filed a lawsuit, not against Dr. Nasser. She has filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Olympic Committee, alleging that the organization was aware that Dr. Nasser was molesting girls and that they tried to cover it up. She announced that uh, that she filed it a couple of days ago. It wasn't really announced until today. But she says that the U.S. Olympic Committee was aware at the highest levels of the organization that Dr. Nasser had molested Olympic and national team-level gymnasts who participated with USA Gymnastics. 
you remember she was one of the ones who came out and very publicly in that courtroom blasted this guy for what it is that he did. The lawyer says a simple fact is this. If USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic Committee had followed their own bylaws, policies, and procedures designed to protect children from sexual abuse, Ms. Raisman would never have been uh, would never have met him, never would have been treated in quotes by him and never would have been molested by him. He was originally picked up to child pornography charges, picked up on child pornography charges and faced 10 counts of criminal sexual misconduct, sentenced at the beginning of January to 60 years in prison on the pornography charges and a total of 300 years for the various sexual conduct charges. And if you remember, the judge got blasted for her half an hour lecture to this guy. People were saying that this was probably going to send it to appeal because she overstepped her bounds as a judge. I think everybody in the country was applauding that woman when she ripped into this guy from the bench. And even if it does go to appeal, this guy's never going to see the outside of a jail once again. And the 260 people who were molested and attacked by this guy are the ones who have to deal with it. I got a new one for you, though. A new file has been placed into a federal court over Dr. Larry Nasser. this time a 16-year-old, now a freshman at the University of Michigan, is on the USA National Gymnastics Program. And Jacob Moore says Dr. Larry Nasser sexually abused him as well. Jacob is a male gymnast. He has claimed for the first time that he, as a boy, was attacked by this guy. He filed an amended complaint with the federal court, which detailed how he was assaulted when he was 16 years old. He said he went to Dr. Larry Nasser for a shoulder injury. Just a quick, uh, just a quick biography. I'm sorry, biography, biology lesson. Blake, I want you to point to your shoulder. Either one, that's right. It's up there. Now point to your genitals. Correct. Down there. Any connection between the two? The hip bone. Not connected to your shoulder bone. That's true. Any muscles that go from your shoulder to your groin? No. No. Any nerve pathways that probably go from your shoulder to your groin? Probably no. No. A bone structure outside of some massive deformity that we don't know about that go from your shoulder to your bone, your your groin. Sorry. That's just unintentional. Yes. Jacob says he went to Dr. Larry Nasser for a shoulder injury and that Dr. Larry Nasser did a couple of things. First of all, when he showed up to Dr. Nasser's home for treatment... Weird thing number one, the doctor was already with a teenage female gymnast treating her, in quotes, treating her. And Larry Nasser pulled down the 16-year-old boy's pants, exposing him to the girl who was being treated there. Nasser then told Jacob he would treat the injury with acupuncture in his pubic area and in and around his genitalia. Now, they have to point out in the federal documents that there is no known medical connection between shoulder pain, which could be treated through acupuncture. But there's no known connection between shoulder pain and the area of a male's genitalia. 
This is the first guy that we know having been accused of or having accused Larry Nasser of molesting him, sexually abusing him in a way. So just a terrifying footnote, perhaps, to the ongoing story that we've unfortunately seen about Larry Nasser. All right. It's time for Mr. Mo Kelly on the movies. Welcome to Mo on the Movies. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's Mo on the movies. Kiss me. Not a chance. Well, hello, Mr. Mo Kelly. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing well. It's a little gloomy outside. I'm not a fan of the rain or overcast weather. You know what we need? We need the shimmer. We need the shimmer to brighten things up. Don't you start. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear your review of the movie Annihilation. But before we get to that, we're, okay. we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars as well. They come up on Sunday, so we'll talk about what uh, we might expect to see when the Oscars come around on Sunday night. We have a couple of movies that are coming out this weekend as well, so let's just blast through those very quickly. One of them is Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. From this day forward, you will become sparrows, weapons in a global struggle for power. Every human being is a puzzle of need. You must learn to intuit what is missing, become the missing piece, and they will give you anything. Okay. She's a former ballet dancer. She becomes a Russian intelligence operative. She's forced to use her body as a weapon, and her first mission targets a secret CIA agent. I hear there's nudity in it as well. Apparently, she's quite proud of the nude scenes. She's been talking about them nonstop. Yeah, and I guess uh, she didn't finish middle school either. (laughs) <laughs> Judging by all the comments she's been making in regard to her 60 Minutes interview, oh. <laughs> which is part and parcel of the promotion of the movie. I don't, you know, I'm all for these types of movies as far as just action and everything. I don't mm-hmm. expect anything special from Jennifer Lawrence, but the whole genre is just, okay, it's Bond-esque. Yeah. You know. It's Atomic Blonde. It's uh, right. Jason Bourne for women. Nikita. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, this is a strictly popcorn-style movie for me. Right. Uh, I'm not going to get much out of it. And I like Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's, I think she's actually a good actress. I think she is, too. Um, just an interesting, I think, m- marketing machine around this movie is right. a way to put it. And I can wait for it to be available on download. Sure. I, that's not a $14 movie for me. <laughs> Absolutely not. What about... Uh, what about Death Wish with uh, with Bruce Willis? I just saw somebody run by. What do you mean you just saw someone run by? I, I just saw someone run by here? I did. I did. I want you to get Dad, under the stairs. why are you putting me under the stairs? Dad, Call the cops where are you right now. Dad, please be Take careful. Take your phone Dad, and dial 911. 911, what is your emergency? These men, they're breaking into my house. They're on my front lawn. I think they're here. Okay. Uh, a remake of the old movie, Family Becomes a Vigilante, uh, Family Man Becomes a Vigilante Killing machi- Machine when his family's violently attacked. Elizabeth Shue is in this? Yeah, and also I'll watch it. Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, I was talking to Vincent D'Onofrio on the anniversary of the 30th anniversary of Full Metal Jacket, and he was talking about how this movie came together, and I was asking him, why don't they just call it something else? Because it's remade in such a way, it's a completely different story. It's been modernized for this generation. Just call it something else because I want Charles Bronson to sort of jump out of nowhere, but he's not right. going to happen. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And Yes, it'll get me to go because it's Death Wish. I'm going to make the comparisons, but why don't they just call it, I don't know, Birth Wish or something? I mean, 
because it's, it's not going to feel the same way, but you want me to feel the or, same way. Or even keep it in the franchise, but call it Death Wish colon A New Beginning right. or something like right. that. Right, and this is the you know the grandson of Charles Bronson or something. Right. <laughs> Death Wish Force Awakens. That might work. All right. Let's talk about Annihilation. Annihilation was the story we talked a little bit about last week that opened Natalie Portman. Yes. Um, some alien thing comes into the uh, into the world, into our Earth, and we have to figure out what's going on. I love science fiction. Yeah. I love Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. I love the new adaptations of books that have been turned into uh, movies. All those things are going to get me into the theater. I went to the theater, and Blake, do you have that audio of my review? <laughs> He's getting it. Okay. He's got one finger in the air. He's still pointing to his shoulder and to his groin, trying to figure out the connection between the two. I could tell you better in 60 seconds than anything I could say right here. Okay. <laughs> and if Blake has it, then he can play it. Oh, is this from the Mo on the Movies yes. review that we're going to hear? Yes. All right, excellent. Welcome to Mo on the Movies. Annihilation stars Natalie Portman as a biologist who volunteers to investigate the Shimmer, a slowly expanding, iridescent, deadly dome. If you like meaningful science fiction with sensible plot actions by the protagonists, which build up to a spellbinding conclusion, which will leave you wanting more and mentally blown away... Well, this movie isn't that, and you'll probably hate every moment of it, every scene, and you'll regret spending a dime on it. It's bad. It's really bad. It's terrible. It's horrible. It is abysmal. Worst movie of the genre since maybe Battlefield Earth, a toss-up. Insert the cliche, I heard the book is much better. And that even may not be true. I'm Mo Kelly for Mo on the movies. You even went Charles Barkley terrible on that. Terrible. Terrible. A lot of walking, a lot of talking, miscast characters, voices were very annoying to me. Uh, I don't want to give away any plot points, but Natalie Portman and other female soldiers-esque, mm-hmm. not because, because they're not really soldiers, are thrust into the situation where they have to go into the shimmer, and they're completely and obviously inadequate and have no business holding a weapon. Not because they're women. Not because they're women, because they their characters have made it clear yeah. that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and they have like M16s. They make it clear. Uh. Because there's a line where they ask Natalie Portman, how did you learn to shoot like that? And Natalie Portman is a uh, character who has uh, seven years in the military. But you all have M16s. You should know how to shoot. Right. You shouldn't be surprised when the lady <laughs> next to you knows what's going on. Oh, well, that's too bad. It is really weird, and I understand the book is really weird, but this is god-awful. I, I did see some people who had said, uh, like the Washington Post uh, reporter, who, movie reviewer, said it was it's going to make you feel small, it's going to make you terrified, and you should rush to see it. Lies. <laughs> lies. Damn lies. <laughs> All right, well, I guess uh, that one's off the list tonight. Did you see Game Night by any chance? No, that's I next. Think, I think that's what I'm seeing tonight. Yeah. Uh, that may be on the, the date thing. Uh, all right, the Oscars come out on Sunday night, and we saw Shape of Water come in with the most nominations at 13, I think. Dunkirk followed with eight nominations. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri had seven. All three of them have Best Picture nominations, and we'll get into some of this in a second. Outside of the awards, what do you expect to see 
politics-wise, whether it's Me Too movement or Time's Up or or Washington, D.C. politics. Yes, yes, yes. All of it? Yes, and, and I think, isn't Jimmy Kimmel hosting? Jimmy Kimmel's hosting again. That should give you a real indication of where it will most likely go. I would tune in, if anything, just for the opening monologue. Mm-hmm. Because that will set the tone. This has to be more impactful than the Golden Globes in a political sense. You have to go further than a simply a, a pin or a slogan or just a speech because people are looking to see if Hollywood is actually going to back up anything, all that stuff that they've been talking for the past six months about Harvey Weinstein. Well, one, uh, to that end, the um, there will be no dress code. There will be no Me Too black dresses kind of uh, movement like we saw at the Golden Globes and at other award ceremonies because they've said we are not a we're not an awards show protest group so we stand down this time is the way that they <laughs> I don't think that's possible yeah. is it I mean it's, it's not possible you have Jimmy Kimmel hosting yeah he's going to have something sub- significant to say about any number of issues be it health care be it President Trump be it me too why because that has been his standing uh, opening monologue every night of his show. Yeah. Why would this be different? Is that going to turn people off, though? I mean, to me, it's clear that the Oscars in general have lost an audience share that they assumed, I guess, would always be there. I I think that's a misdirection and misinterpretation, respectfully, for this matter, if only because the whole idea of a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour show is antiquated. When I know I can get the highlights on YouTube or on the internet almost instantaneously, where it used to be where you did not have that option, well, you better watch it during the show or you're not going to be able to see it at all. I'll just wait for it it on YouTube. Who wants to sit through all of that? Well, I was going to say, and to the point that you think, if nothing else, you should probably check out the opening monologue to see how it goes, I'll check it out Monday morning. Right. You know, if I don't catch it, I'll just watch it on YouTube. It's okay. And, And I think it presupposes that the Oscars lose its audience because if people are turned off by politics, if you're turned off by politics, you've been turned off by politics for a long time, including the Oscars, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, and ever. This should this has not been a shift for award shows. This is not new. Right. So if you were uh, really, really looking to avoid politics, you haven't been checking for the Oscars for quite some time. And I'm one of the people who say I get annoyed by that in in a, in an, a sh- uh, an award show like that. I just want to see the awards. I want to see them, you know, uh, receive accolades for the work that they did. They, I don't need to be lectured about my political choices or this or that. I just basically show me what you have, entertain me. But that being said, I'll still watch it, you know, and I. I'll roll my eyes at times, perhaps, but I'll still watch it. I roll my eyes for different reasons. I don't mind the lectures, but it seems like the people lecturing us are so full of it. In other words, they don't even sweep around (laughs) their own front porch. Don't lecture to me about what needs to change in Hollywood. When you're in Hollywood, you can be the change. You can make the change right there. Why did you have to wait to have an international audience to tell us what's wrong with Hollywood? Damn it, didn't you already know what was wrong with Hollywood? You think women were being mistreated only this year? You think that Harvey Weinstein's the only one? And you're going to say, we need to stand together and wear this, this black dress or this pin and say, this has to stop? That's why we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Janelle Monet made her speech at the Grammys. I stood up and said, now she's calling she's calling out everybody in the room. In I the mean, room. She said, it's not about you guys out there. It's about you and you and you and you. And we have allowed this to happen in our industry and we can't do it anymore. Not calling out people in corporate America or in Washington, D.C. or anything. Within the room, she called them out, which I thought was a good, nice change. 
Let's see if the Oscars have the same internal intestinal fortitude. Um, big, big awards that are coming out uh, on Sunday night. Um, do you see any clear favorites in any of the categories? Like if we were, if we were just to say, for example, best picture, who do you who do you think should win and who do you think will win? Who do I think should win? Yeah. Um, best picture. Mo is, Kelly's best picture. It's it's really unfair because you're trying to judge art against art. Best picture is so subjective in the sense of what we value in a film. I thought Get Out was fantastic. I don't think Get Out has a chance at winning. Get Out as a movie is not as sophisticated and it, as in depth, as an endeavor as The Shape of Water. But you want to put them together. Right. I thought Dunkirk was fantastic. But... It started off so early in the calendar year, it doesn't have the same steam at the end of its calendar year coming into awards season. I would expect that the the favorite of Shape of Water and maybe The Darkest Hour, they're going to split some of their vote, and Dunkirk is going to slip in there, with a dark horse being Get Out. But historically, you know, movies with such box office success, they don't win Best Picture. And I don't know if it's because they there's a sort of a feeling in the academy that a big money maker doesn't deserve it it must not have been artistic if it appealed to the masses like that yeah and the, and the award shows tend to be so self-congratulatory it's like we're auteurs <laughs> that that banal tripe right would never be indicative of our artistic excellence the one that you didn't mention was three billboards outside ebbing missouri that i that would be the one i would choose for that's best picture hot, that's the hot choice right now and, well, I, and I thought it's a great movie. Yeah. I try to think of the Oscars in terms of historically the movies that they try or genuinely put their arms around. Well, I, the reason I, I say that it would have been my choice, I still had problems with it. And if you've seen the movie, I'll just say The Deer. That's right. all I'm going to okay. say. Mm-hmm. Destroy, <laughs> almost destroyed that movie for me. Um, but I do think that that would be my choice for best picture. But I think Shape of Water is going to win because I think it checks those boxes that you're referring to. That in the past, the Academy has awarded certain types of movies. And that's different enough with with great. I mean, not to say that it wasn't a great movie. It was. I just that's not my style of movie. That's not one I'm going to go. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait for the sequel or I can't wait for another Guillermo del Toro movie. Are you saying that we've reached a point in time in which a movie which features interspecies sex will not be a deterrent to it winning an award? Absolutely. We have overcome. Absolutely. We have finally overcome. Um, When it comes to uh, lead actor and lead actress, the lead actor category I think is interesting because Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out would be my choice for, for two reasons. He did a great job in the movie. And second, he was enough of a newcomer. And took many enough people by surprise. I think he, that's actually working to his advantage. Daniel Day Lewis. He plays Daniel Day Lewis in Phantom Thread. And Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is already an amazing guy. It's not like we need to. I think it's his time, though. You I think, think it's, it's his? I think it's Gary Oldman's time, and I think it was a transformative role. Which, from my study, that tends to get a little bit of a bump in terms of you're doing something where you're seemingly unrecognizable. Or you're putting yourself in someone who is very recognizable and transforming yourself in the way that, like, Jamie Foxx did with Ray Charles. Sure. Uh, the way uh, the way Dustin Hoffman did in Rain Man. Right. 
Um, Timothy Chalamet is uh, also nominated in that category for Call Me By Your Name, which I haven't seen, but I've heard amazing things about his performance. He also appeared in Lady Bird, sort of a small bit part. And then uh, lead actress Sally Hawkins is clearly, uh, again, I think Frances McDormand is great, but I think Sally Hawkins in Shape of Water did a fantastic job with l- literally Nothing no to lines. Work with. Right. No yeah. lines. <laughs> Uh, just an amazing version of it. Uh, I like Margot Robbie again. I like Source Ronan in Lady Bird, and I had, I never saw the post with, but it's Meryl Streep. I mean, see, that's the thing. We have to divorce what we like with what we think the Academy will recognize as a voting body, and that's where it gets a little bit more nebulous. On my program tomorrow, I'll be joined by Kevin Poloi of Yahoo Movies, and he was saying in just other conversations that we had, where if you watch the momentum of the other award shows, you get a a feeling for what the Oscars are going to choose because the Oscar voters, they don't even close their voting until February 28th. So they're watching all the other shows, watching who is being recognized, what is being awarded. And, yeah, you can say that that has some undue, subtle, subliminal influence on how late voters may vote. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Again, that's tomorrow night on the Mo Kelly Show and then uh, Sunday as well, 6 to 8, right here on KFI. All Oscars. Thanks, man. M-R-M-O Kelly. K-E-L-L-Y. Mr. Mo Kelly. Thanks, man. All right. We come back. Uh, A quick interview uh, that we did uh, that we're going to talk with Sabo. You may have seen these billboards making headlines. Three billboards outside Pasadena and Hollywood calling out Hollywood for their uh, sexual assault talk. That's coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Big stories that we followed today. The shooting at Central Michigan University. They still haven't found the 19-year-old shooter in that case, but it turns out not to have been what you would consider a school shooting. It was a 19-year-old who apparently killed his parents at his dorm. This was the last day before spring break, and some parents had been on campus to pick up their kids. That 19-year-old may have also been in the hospital overnight as a result of some bad reaction to drugs. Oscars this weekend, they'll go off on Sunday night. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the three billboards outside Hollywood. If you've seen street artist Sabo has been given credit for these three billboards uh, that have been pointing out what he says is the hypocrisy going on in Hollywood. And he joins us now. And Sabo, I just wanted to ask, what was the... uh, in your words, what was the point of putting up these billboards? Uh, the point is for Hollywood to get off its butt and start cleaning its own house. Do uh, you? Pretty much. Well, uh, let me read through uh, what these say. The first one is, uh, and the Oscar for biggest pedophile goes to dot, dot, dot. And it's an homage, I guess you could say, to the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was uh, a, a painful movie about murder and loss and a mother dealing with the grief. The other, the second one says, we all knew and still know arrests. And then the third one, name names on stage or shut the hell up. Without giving away, without giving away too many secrets, how'd you do it? Uh, with the help of uh, a couple of guys much younger than myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was up there, and after we got the second billboard up, and I realized it was upside down. I was about ready to call it a day, but thank God I had these young bucks with me because they're like, nope, let's just do it over. Uh, so. what, do you, what do you expect to see on Sunday? I mean, I, no one's going to mention these, do you think? Absolutely not. These people are actors, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to act like nothing happened. And then Monday's going to roll around, and they're going to keep up with their witch hunt. Um, what do you, uh, are you going to watch 
I don't get the impression that you're just, you know, on, on the edge to see how this is covered. Yeah, not really. Uh, I might only because I've got some morbid curiosity, and I, you know, I may try and comment on it on Twitter. But I'm only do it doing it just to troll them, not because I'm interested in them or their work. Um, well, you also t- took responsibility for the posters that went up about Meryl Streep uh, that had the words "she knew" right across her face, and it was all up around her house and everything. What kind of feedback did you get about that? I was surprised uh, at how much uh, how, how much it went around the world. I think it went viral like twice, and uh, I, I was quite surprised. And uh, that was a collaboration between me and another group, and uh, <clears throat> I got more heat from them than I think I got from the left. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you're attacking the queen of Hollywood at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, she calls Harvey Weinstein God, and she gave Roman Polanski a standing ovation, so... Uh, let's take a step back and outside of the billboards and outside of the Oscars, this this whole thing that has been going on since I mean, it, it, it had been going on since before we knew about it. The Harvey Weinstein story that came out in The New York Times and New York Magazine. But since then, we've seen six months of it seems every other 24 hours, there's a new name that has come up or a new victim that has come forward. Uh, how, how can Hollywood clean its own house here? Oh, dear God. You, you know, man, I think this house is, you know, you're, you're talking about this deep, dark lake filled with man-eating sharks. I'm not sure you can. It, you know, uh, I just love watching them eat their own. I mean, when Matt Damon said something that was completely sensical, like, you know what? Not all offenses are the same. And they tore him to pieces. <laughs> I don't so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, we went, we covered that a lot of um, we spent a lot of time covering that, this comment that seemed in any other conversation in America would have been completely innocuous and everybody would have kind of sh- shook their head and nodded in agreement. But because somebody grabbed a hold of it and made it sound like he was even his comment was made to be as problematic and as disgusting as what Harvey Weinstein was doing to these women. And, you know, the fact that they tore him up or the fact that he apologized for it right. tells you how scared everyone is in Hollywood. It's like being a liberal or a leftist. It's like you know to to mind your place, and if you step out of line, uh, your fellow leftists are going to thump you in the head. And uh, that's who they are. Yeah, there's not a lot of room for uh, for dissenting opinions or even clear opinions, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone that didn't vote Democrat, as far as they're concerned, is a Nazi, and that's where we're at. As far as they're concerned, you can punch a Nazi. So if you didn't vote Democrat, it's all right to assault you. That's where their heads are. We're talking with Sabo, the uh, the street artist who has been credited with setting up these uh, three billboards ahead of the Oscars coming up to talk about, um, I guess, calling out the sexual harassment issues in Hollywood, but also calling them out on calling each other out. When it comes to that, are you going to go? Is there a chance I saw that maybe you take Milo to the uh, to the Oscars? Well, you know, the scriptwriter was going to take me. I even went out and bought a tuxedo, and uh, she kind of went dark for a while. And I was like, "Huh, I wonder what's wrong with her." And and I spoke to a mutual friend, and they were like, "You know what? Her agent said uh, if if uh, she takes you to the Oscars, she'll probably never work again, man." And so I give her a call, and she says, "I fell off a ladder and broke both knees." Oh, so. Yeah. So I knew at that point it wasn't on. You sure and, that, and, that wasn't a yeah. hit of some kind? 
I don't know, man, but uh, I guess Weinstein was the one holding the ladder. Oh, that's... But, yeah, but uh, what is it? So I, so I put out a call. I said, if anyone's got tickets for me and Milo to go, he has a fabulous dress, and we'd be the, the belle of the balls. Come on, you guys, that... We interviewed Milo about a year and a half ago when he was at the uh, Republican National Convention in Cleveland, and that was in the midst of... All of the kerfuffle between he and Leslie Jones from uh, from Saturday Night Live, and uh, I think you're right. He would look spectacular in a dress. Yeah, I'd have to get a top hat because he's a full foot taller than I am. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the oh, issue. Yeah. What about your opinions of Jimmy Kimmel? I know that you're not necessarily uh, on speaking terms. Uh, you'd be surprised how little I think of Jimmy Kimmel. It's it's like he's kind of like the uh, the idiot stepchild to Adam Carolla. Uh, who's the man? And uh, I, you know, I don't even consider him a comedian. So how he even has work just blows me away. But you, but you like Adam? Yeah, I like Adam. You know, I mean, I, I've never followed Adam all that much, but you know, in the past couple of years, I've been listening to him, and I'm like, damn, this guy makes sense. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that I hadn't listened to him in the past. I mean, he probably made sense the whole time through. Uh, well, and I think he's one of the writers, actually, for Jimmy Kimmel uh, this weekend. Yeah, that's why he doesn't put him down. <laughs> he wants to keep his job. <laughs> well, um, any expectation about what we're going to be talking about on Monday in terms of uh, anybody who's going to come out and say anything about the allegations? I just want one of those egomaniacs to feel so important that they have to just throw someone under the bus, and then all hell breaks loose. I, you know, I, I think if one person does it on stage, someone else is going to feel compelled. And and I just hope the the hills are on fire on Monday, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I kind of doubt it, too. All right. Well, uh, any other big plans for – I know part of what makes you who you are is the surprise nature of what you do, but – any clues you want to you want to give? But no, I can't tell you what I'm going to do next. I don't need the police wait for me. <laughs> Excellent point, Sabo. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. We come back. I have a quick story. I have to tell you. My wife found an old paper that my son printed, uh, where he calls us communists. I want to read to you an article from the Calvin Times when we come back. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, wrapping up the show today and for the week, as a matter of fact. Shannon's out. She'll be back on Tuesday. John and Ken coming up just a bit. Uh, my wife sent me this great text this morning. It's a picture of something she found that our son did. Our son's 18. I mean, he's a he's a grown-ass man. Yeah, squint when I say that. But you know what I mean. He's an adult. How's that? Uh, legally, we should say. He used to make a bunch of stuff. He used to make, uh, like, comic books and things like that. And he wrote on a giant piece of paper the Calvin Times, like an old English script, like calligraphy almost, uh, as a newspaper. He was, he was printing his own newspaper, I guess. And it says below that, parents, no illegal copying, because I guess he was afraid we were going to take his work. You're enemy of the state. Probably. Uh the headline on this edition of Calvin Times that my wife found, above the fold, Calvin's parents practice communism. <laughs> and I'm going to read to you the first couple of paragraphs of this report from this episode, this edition of Calvin Times. <clears throat> Recent reports say that the great Calvin is a victim of communism 
or having a small amount of rights. I think he was probably studying at this something in school. Uh, having a small amount of rights. His own parents are practicing communism on him. Here we have an interview with some interviewer and a Calvin Times reporter and on E. Mouse interviewer. I was observing, uh, or sorry, the, the subject. I was observing Calvin when I noticed his mom yelled at him to clean his room, but she didn't yell at his sister, whose, ma- whose room is a pigsty. The reporter. Was Calvin's room a mess? <laughs> the subject. He had some army men out, but that was it. <laughs> uh, the reporter says, that's peculiar. And the subject says, agreed. Also, what exactly do you do? And the subject says, you could call me a spy, but I mostly gather info with my own eyes and tell the truth to people like you, Anon. And then it says, okay, back to the topic. I gather you've been spying on Calvin for a while. Yes. And then it goes on. You can't see the rest of it. But there's a uh, there's a sign that is in page two of the Calvin Times, and it says... Bad parents, more democracy. Now you guys know what I had to deal with. All right. When we, co- when we come back on Monday, uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, including the latest about what sort of market reaction we're going to see around the world and the uh, president's threat to impose punishing tariffs on aluminum and steel being brought into the country. John and Ken up next. Conway up at 6 o'clock. We'll see you Monday. Stay dry, everybody. Gary and Shannon side studio. Let's get it. Coming up later. Ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Okay. Coming up later on the Gary and Shannon show. Even. Wait. Even flow. He don't know. Laugh again. You gotta pay attention to the metal stamping yeah. machines or you lose an arm. Right. Like my Uncle Fred. <laughs> that is your story. No. We should get him on. He's dead. Did you hear me? He lost an arm. I know, but I also dead. repeatedly tell you that he died right. like okay. four years ago. Okay. Hello. Hello. How are you guys? Great. Sorry. Not much. Hey. What's up, what's up? Not much. The Hey, um, hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Join us tomorrow for a gas news and brews. We're going to be live at uh place. I Shave every hair off my body. This has been Gary and Shannon's Side Studio Show. Stay tuned for more outtakes and bloopers. Stay outtakes and bloopers. You know what I'm saying. We're going to keep scrolling up. Tune in next week for the hilarious funeral episode on Gary and Shannon.